You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since Welcome to a show that has been in the works for a while. We've been bumbling and stumbling and fumbling, as uh, Chris Berman would say. This is the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Large William, and across the border from me is my good pal, my partner in crime and slime, Sammy. Yeah, on the phone, again. Again, it's been a while. We've just, uh, yeah, we've been uh, rope-a-doped by life. Um yeah, you know we've been kind of fight back and and uh, you know keep on keeping on, but it's been difficult. So we apologize again. I know for a long time we were a well-oiled machine, and you know as we've said, uh, these things can happen sometimes. So bear with us. Uh, you will be getting some TIFF coverage next week. I just uh, had to organize a few things on my end, and you'll get that out. And uh, of course, your regular episode next week, which uh, we intend to get out, of course, as we always do. <laughs> remains to be seen but you know yeah we'll see what happens there (laughs) we should say that uh, very dear friends morris and ben from australia were kind enough to provide us with an episode last week so you guys had some content they did a great interview with uh and i think it was a ggtmc first academy award winner adam elliott uh, director of harvey crumpet and marion max so it was very cool to hear his process and and uh, how he, you know, how he goes with Clay and, uh, you know, some of the stuff that goes into what he does. And very cool. Very, very cool. So Yeah, I believe you're that. right. I believe it is the, the only Oscar winner we've ever interviewed. I mean, not that, in my opinion, Matt Hannon and a few others don't deserve that, that type of praise. We're but. more of a, a Razzie winner kind of show, typically <laughs> yeah. speaking. But, that, but that's okay. You know, that's, that's okay. okay. We love the Razzies and we love the films that the Razzies shit on, I guess I should say more accurately. Yeah. We don't love them ironically. We love no. them because we love them. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Uh, this episode we're going to be doing, which is episode 353, 353 for those playing along at home, uh, is one that we decided to do just based on you know two kind of deaths that um, 
you know, they, they weighed on us uh, and our community, certainly, just because they were, they were big parts of what we do. And I think they kind of encompass, you know, collectively a lot of things that we dig on and, you know, from our childhood and, you know, right up to today that, uh, you know, a big part of that. Uh, of course, it's a tribute episode to Mr. Wes Craven and the rowdy one, Roddy Piper. So I picked a West film I'd never seen, and Sammy picked uh, a Roddy film, a Hot Rod film that we'd never seen. I never even heard of it, to be honest with you. I'd heard of it only because our good friend Paul had bought it for me. I just uh, had sat on it. But uh, now was as good a time as any to dust out that, uh, bust out that region two discs. So we're going to be covering 1981's West Craven Jam with a Beardy Borg 9. That's a blessing. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, succubus <laughs> and uh, 1997's Seven Samurai riff, The Bad Pack, directed by yeah. uh, the one and only Brent Huff, he of Bruno Mattei Muse fame. Yeah, so uh, what uh, what have you been watching over these past couple weeks? Uh, I've been watching a lot of television mostly, uh, just kind of you know, I, I, I've I had to watch a lot of stuff on the go, I've been very busy. Career-wise, so uh, a lot of stuff I've been watching has been on the go, but I've gotten a few films in since last we spoke, and mostly documentaries. I just well, it's just two documentaries really. I watched uh, Freeway Cracking the System. This is a documentary on uh, Freeway Ricky Ross, the uh, notorious drug dealer, South Central Los Angeles, and it kind of ties in with that Kill the Messenger film I saw. Uh, so those two make a really nice double feature. I recommend everybody. Check both those films out. Uh, one's on Netflix, the other's not. But Kill the Messenger, I talked about a few weeks back, and uh, yeah, man, it was you know I really liked it. So and like you said, you you like the trailer a lot. And I think you'd like the film a lot too. So yeah, if, uh, both of them are really good. Though. I think you'd like this documentary a lot too. Uh, check so it out. it's it's on Netflix. So yeah, definitely check it out if you get a chance. I'm gonna add it right now. Yeah, the only other thing I watched was one uh, that I. I knew of this person, but I didn't know there was a documentary on him, and I don't know how I came across it. I think I just kind of stumbled across it. It's going to sound weird because it's about a gay porn star named Peter Berlin. Oh. And Peter Berlin was kind of tied to the kind of the hipness of the kind of gay porn star movement. Him and kind of like Tom of Finland, you know, that thing we, that art artist we talked about with the distinctive style, especially around the crotch area. And, and Peter Berlin is known for this, too. Uh, he only did a couple films, but uh, he's very memorable looking, and he's kind of he's kind of considered the Greta Garbo of uh, gay porn. In that he only did the two films, but you know he doesn't really do interviews and doesn't you know he just kind of disappeared. And you know, sadly, a lot of his friends and stuff passed away because you know he was you know very active in the uh, in the seventies, and you know obviously some people didn't come out of that unscathed. No. So uh, it's a really fascinating story, though. Really good film. It came out in 2005. I can't believe I hadn't heard of it until now. I'm always fascinated by people that are on the fringes of film. As you know, uh, we both kind of are the people that are, you know, the, the I mean, the, 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 this actor, two films and, you know, a distinct <laughs> look. I mean, this is the cult of cults here. I just this looked up Peter Berlin, man. Jesus. <laughs> yeah, man. He's got a he's got a very infamous uh, uh, a package. He looks in the second photo. That's he looks a bit like uh, Rocky. Yeah, yeah. He's got the he had a, like a Dutch boy painter haircut, like a Prince Valiant almost. <laughs> yeah. And he and he would wear these these homemade pants. He made his own pants 
So they would have this, you know, they would accentuate his, uh, well, his endowments, I guess we can say. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, you can see where he would be, like, he was really big on the, the leather thing, and that kind of, like, you know, caught on in the 70s. I mean, we're talking, I think this, his first film was in 1970, so that's very early uh, gay porn. I, I don't recall, I'm not a, obviously I'm not scholastic on my gay porn <laughs> material, but uh, I don't know when, you know, that. I mean, I don't know very many of those actors anyway, but I am fascinated by the world of that because, you know, it is the fringe of filmmaking and stuff. And the films he was in actually look, you know, they look interesting because they look like they're trying to do something kind of avant-garde mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, the material. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if somebody like Vinegar Syndrome or somebody ends up picking up, uh, you know, those two films. He did two films, uh, I think, um, hot, uh, something Hot Nights in Leather or something like that, and and uh, one called uh, That Boy or something like that. Because isn't but, uh, the film That Man, Peter Berlin? That's what it is, right? Yeah, That Man, Peter Berlin. That's the name of the film, yes. And you like to uh, have the fucking moose knuckle on full display. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's it's prominent. And he took a lot of his own photographs and stuff, and he kind of lives in the past. It's interesting. He's an interesting guy. How's he look Still now? Does he, look, does he look good for his age? He look like shit, or? Uh, no, he looks good for his age. Uh, at one point, when they meet him, he's got a pencil, he's got a John Waters mustache going. That's not a good move. But <laughs> this outside, guy hey, love to have. I mean, he's in his sixties, but he looks great. Man, these pants are something else that he wears. I know, man. They're GGTMC specials, you know. <laughs> Jeez, are they ever, man? <laughs> There's nothing left to the imagination. Like no, get, I mean, the first time I saw the cover it. for the film, I thought maybe it was like an action figure. Like, <laughs> almost like a joke, you know? <laughs> it's so ridiculous. This guy is, I mean, he's got he's got big he's got big balls, man. Yeah, no, it's the real deal, too, because there is pictures of him fully nude in the documentary, and it the, the, none of that's fake. The beans are impressive, man. Yeah, man. You got the Jeez. beans and the sprout, man. He's got it going on. Fuck. I can't believe those. We got to get those pants. Those are outstanding. Homeboys plum smuggling. <laughs> Big time, man. <laughs> but no, it's it's a really good film. All jokes aside, it's a it's a really good movie. It's on Hulu Plus for those that are interested. But uh, I really I Netflix? think people should check it out if they're interested in kind of like you know fringe filmmaking, uh, you know avant garde kind of early Andy Warholish type stuff. That's what it feels like, Andy Warhol stuff. Yeah, real fascinating stuff. Uh, very interesting, and and the guy's got an interesting philosophy on life too. So it's it's you know it's it's in a lot of ways I was uh you know I got caught up in a little bit emotionally. I, I thought it was very interesting. Yeah, you know he good. come from he came from Germany. Uh, uh, obviously, the joke Peter Berlin, but I mean he came from a well-off family, and I don't know. You see, see the documentary to know, but yeah, definitely put it on your to watch list sometime. Because did it, you see it is on instant? Well, it's on Hulu Plus. I don't know if it's uh, on Instant. It might be on Amazon Prime. It might be on one of the other services. I don't know, but I just caught it on Hulu Plus. It just kind of came across my radar. You know, I watch certain documentaries, and, you know, every now and then they give you that recommended watch one type uh, area, and I don't know what I watched that would have recommended me to watch Peter that man, Peter Berlin, but <laughs> I, I'm glad it did because I wouldn't have heard of it or paid attention. I mean, I don't know anything about this guy. I know a lot about him now, but. You know, he wasn't one of the the big gay uh, porn stars. I, I, I know a couple of those guys, but I don't know. Uh, I don't know him that well. I mean, it, obviously, it's not my it's not my thing, not my bag. Yeah, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, no pun intended with the pants. If you guys are doing yeah. a Google search while you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> it's that, what you're seeing right there—that's somebody's bag. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. 
It's available for streaming on Amazon Prime and Hulu Plus. You can rent it from Amazon. Uh, Amazon. Oh, excuse me, rent or buy it from Amazon. Uh, it's really good. It's really good. It's not. It's not super well shot. It's very. It's very amateur, but it's. It's a great story. I'm surprised. It says 2006. Yeah, yeah. I think on the, the Hulu it says 2005. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I never came across it until now. Yeah. Until now. So, well. He's one of those kind of guys that, you know, would have to check two bags at the airport. You know what I'm saying? No kidding. No <laughs> kidding. Wow. Real, man. A lot of, it should be said, too, a lot of his photos are self-portraits. He did them himself, so it's pretty amazing. Yes. Well, he did it with, like, a timed camera, and he would double expose the film and give himself, like, you know, two shots of himself in a film or, or you know, in a, in a shot or something. And he was a really good photographer, uh, you know, for that type of material. But uh, an erotic uh, photographer, he was actually really talented. It's a shame he didn't do more. Yeah, interesting artist by the sounds of it. Obviously, uh, like I said, a fringe artist. Not for everybody, but for those of you who are game, uh, very interesting. Nice. That's, it. That's, it, that's, that's all I Okay, so let's see what we got here. Um, wait, so I watched Miracle Mile. Oh, yeah, that's right. You did. Man, let me tell you, Miracle Mile was awesome. Yeah, that's, I, a Roop, that's a Roop favorite. I think he's been wanting us to cover that for ages. I, we got to cover it. I mean, I even checked to see if they had the blue over on um, Diabolic. I loved it. I was looking forward last month. Man, it's, it's fucking rad. I high, high recommend for me. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah man, it blew me away. It blew me away. It's, it's amazing. Like it's, it's really good stuff. It's, I loved it. I really, I really did love it. And it's got an amazing, uh, supporting turn in an amazing costume, uh, from Brian Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> That's gotta be my new profile picture. I love it. Nice. I love it. And you know, it's a shame. Anthony Edwards is always someone that I always liked. I find him likable. Um, you know, he couldn't play tough, obviously, but I think uh, it's a shame that he kind of just did mostly TV, you know, but I, I liked him and everything I did see him in, whether it was Nerds or this or... You yeah, know, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a good actor, man. Solid. Solid. Um, so I recommend everyone check out Miracle Mile. Um, what else do we go? I'm trying to remember what this one even is now. I don't know what that says about the film. Oh, yeah, 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 right, right, okay. So then I watched a, a really late cycle, uh, Giallo, uh, from 1985 called Nothing Underneath. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw you watch this. Yeah, this one, this one's interesting. Uh, directed by Carlo Vanzina, who I've never seen anything else from. Um, Donald mm. Pleasant shows up. <laughs> it's got a lot of really good looking, uh, models. And it's such a typical kind of Giallo setup. So, a Yellowstone Park Ranger arrives in uh, Milan <laughs> to save his city, uh, save his sister. She's of vanished. <laughs> now, it's it's really well shot. It's very, and ironically, uh, the the ranger's name is Bob Crane. <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, it's, it's, I liked it a lot, man. I mean, I don't want to oversell it, but it looks, it's got like a really, like a, it's got a really um, expensive kind of 80s, cover girl photo shoot look to it yeah what well, late late 80s will we talk it's actually it's actually 85 but okay that's yeah, pretty that, late i mean that's you late know, <laughs> they weren't making them too often at that point and this one you know it's glossy and there's some there's a really great kill like uh that happens near a catwalk uh 
and a stage. And this has got to be the highest catwalk in the history of cinema, man. <laughs> get vertigo. I'm not afraid of heights, but I'd get vertigo standing up on this thing, man. It's, it's, uh, yeah, a lot of good looking women, lots of nonsensical set pieces. Um, it was cool. Well, it was cool for sure. Nice. Nice. Um, then I watched, uh, one that had been on my uh, kind of list of shame for a long time. Uh, and I, I, there's a lot of films by this guy I haven't seen, to be honest. And after, you know, watching this, and, and I've seen a, you know, a lot of the heavy hitters, but some of his stuff that's just a notch below that in terms of people's talking about it, I haven't seen. This one was rad. It was uh, Werner Herzog's Strosek. Oh, yeah. Strosek, yeah, yeah. whatever it is. Is it Strosek or Strosek? Or I think it's Strosek. Strosek, man, this is going to be like top 10 of the year, first time watches for me. Maybe top five. Yeah, it's one of it's one of my favorites by him too. So. I knew when I watched it, I, I knew you would like. I knew you had to love it. Yeah, I mean, it's got it's got all the sensibilities I like, right? It's so so good. It's so I good. I mean, Herzog. I'll get, let me ask you this: Who? I had that. I bought that box set, by the way. Fuck, I, I haven't I watched. I haven't cracked box open box any set. of those. I haven't watched any of those yet. I slept on it like a fool. And but the good thing is, my library has that box set. Nice, nice. So I'm just gonna go get one every week and uh, and roll through them. But uh, let me ask you, and I think I know the answer. But uh, out of the big three from the German New Wave, uh, Fassbender, Herzog, and uh, Vendors, who's your favorite? Is it Herzog? Oh, it's Herz- yeah, it's Herzog. definitely. Yeah. Now I haven't seen enough Fassbender, but I'm really gonna go on a Fassbender tear here. Uh, and no, you're, gonna, you're, go- you're gonna go on a Fassbender. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna go on a Fassbender and just go sleep in the gutter for a few weeks. Yeah, um, I, I think for me, it's 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 not only the films, but it's also a matter of personal taste. I like that the Herzog goes back and forth, like he does documentaries, and then he'll do, you know, a, a narrative film, and he really does toggle. But even yeah, Hendricks kinda, has done that lately. Like he's done a yeah. lot. Of, he did some documentaries early on. He did a cool one on Nicholas Ray. Mm-hmm, he did mm-hmm. one on a tailor of some sort. I think in the '80s that I have in a box set. Right. Um, he did that one. Love you, Mama. He did Pina in 3D a few years ago. So, I, yeah, I love all three of them. All three of them are amazing in their own way. But yeah, Herzog would probably stand the test of time for me overall. Yeah, no, but this plus is, the older I get, the more his sensibilities kind of, you know, the more his stuff kind of sticks with me. I mean, because yeah. uh, a lot of his stuff deals with, I think, men obsessed with, you know, accomplishment and stuff, and at the uh, risk of everything. Uh, yeah, and not true. that I am that person, but I do find those people it's fascinating. Fascinating, right? I would love to talk about this one on the show. I, I I can't say enough good things about it. It's it's a tremendous film. Yeah, it's a good one. It's a good one. It's a very underseen one too. It's Man, great. yeah, I, and I always used to mix it up with um, was it Wojciech? What's the other one? It's got a similar name, similar title. Yeah, I think it's Wojciech. I think it's what it is. Yeah. Anyway, I used to mix it up with that because I'd seen Wojciech, and then I would just you know anyway, but. Yeah, so high, high, high recommend. Um, then I watched Lost Souls, Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's. Oh, you watched that? Oh, that's right. Okay. Island of Dr. Moreau, longest title in, in the history of cinema, maybe. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of the longest ones, yeah. Man, it's fucking long. How do they, I'm curious to see the spine of that disc. <laughs> 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 Let me get my binoculars out. Jeez. Um, yeah. Give a magnifying glass to see where, where that movie yeah, is. You need, you need that Hubble. Yeah. That, man. Yeah. But uh, it's like they got the dudes that write like like uh, things on grains of rice to like to hand print those those spines, man. But this yeah. uh, this one was good. It was interesting. Um, 
I think it's a shame that the film never got made because I loved a lot of the um, conceptual drawings he had done of the like the Beast People. I thought, yeah, yeah, really Stanley's really version would have stuff. been pretty amazing. I think. Yeah, they would have been, but I think you and I spoke about it. He had the unfortunate luck of having two of the biggest dickheads in Hollywood. Uh, oh man, you can't you can't ask for worst uh, you know <laughs> actors to work with. I mean, obviously. I think what I like in the documentary is they say, you know, once they cast Brando, then, of course, Val Kilmer came along. David, Dool- All these people started coming along because everybody wanted to work with Brando. Yeah. Because, you know, you you know, as an actor, you know, you want to you want to say, hey, I worked with Marlon Brando. That's right. But, you know, of course, Marlon Brando in that time, you know, he, you know, he hated everything about acting. And, he, and of course, Val Kilmer just hated people. I, I don't need. What a cunt Val Kilmer was. What a fucking <laughs> no. cunt. I mean, he basically is the one that got Stanley kicked off. But, the, you yeah. know, it's it's. Yeah, he was. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, how how badly and of course then frank uh frankenheimer or whatever his name is he came in yeah because he just wanted to work with brando that's right that's and right. then you know he, he basically was like i'll never work with that fucking guy again <laughs> yeah it's crazy man and you know you look back and brando was so amazing but like some of the things he does like there's that western he did with um with, was it with jack nicholson or with dennis hopper where again he it does, was jack nicholson it was nicholson uh it's like early 80s or late 70s but it's so bizarre because Brando just does this r- ridiculous Irish accent for no reason, for no reason in the whole film. Yeah, for the only, for the reason just to disrupt everything. Just I think to he, disrupt. Doesn't he wear makeup in that too, or dress like a female at some point? He might. I, it's, it's been a couple of years since I saw it, but it's so bizarre, and it just, you know. But that's what he does. Uh, yeah, I think the one of the interesting things about that I remember when they talk about him putting the ice bucket on his head and the white makeup and the white oh, boo boo and all that stuff. The reason yeah. why he did that was so. You know, in the far shots, he wouldn't have to be on set that day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So he's such a, you know, he was such a, you know. I mean, I, I like Brando as an actor too. Oh man, I mean, the real, the real deal. The, the, I mean, him and Kilmer, I like both of them a lot. But as actors, but truth I, is, they're they're both cunts. <laughs> I prefer Brando's brand of cuntiness because I feel like he at least earned the right to be more of a cunt. Not to say anyone earns the right, but yeah. I can almost stomach if you're like, you know, you you've put your time in. And I get yeah. it. I don't ever excuse cunt. I don't give a fuck, man. Like, if I was at a convention and I met someone and they were a cunt, like, I'm sorry. Like, that's it. I'm walking away. Or I'm going to say yeah. a fucking cunt. Yeah. You know, I, I just, I can't, I can't, I don't like that kind of behavior. But Kilmer, man, what a motherfucker he was on the set of that film. Yeah. Oh, I what can't I, imagine what I understand deal with, with Kilmer, he's still just as difficult. That's too bad. That's too bad. I heard he'd mill it out, but I don't know. It, it, a guy of his talent. I think it's testament to his behavior why he hasn't worked that much. Yeah, I like. I wish Val Kilmer and Steven Seagal did a film together. (laughs) (laughs) Would it be like uh, out for buffet? No kidding, man. (laughs) No kidding. (laughs) Fuck. Um, Out for Massengill. Uh, they don't want it, man. That's the problem. Yeah, it's a good documentary. I was hoping that documentary would be like one of my favorites of all time. It's good. But it's, it's good, it's not, not great. great. Yeah, no, yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think that, yeah, you know, at the risk of sounding biased, but I mean this in all, all sincerity, Jodorowsky's Dune is a is a much better made yeah. documentary. Not just it remi- it, it's like a oh, really yeah. good. It's like a really good bonus feature. Yeah, I feel like this one the material is better than the execution. Yes. Um, okay, so I watched a bunch of films at TIFF, which I'll be covering next week. Um, there wasn't a, wasn't a stinky one on the bunch. Nice. Which is good. There's one that, you know, a little bit so-so, but it wasn't bad. So that's good. Uh, the other night, Friday night, I think it was, um, I jumped out. I skipped out on the Mike film, Yakuza Apocalypse. I just felt bad. I hadn't talked to my kids in all week. I said, you know what? I'm going to just sell my ticket. 
And we're going to stay home and watch a movie. I'll pop some popcorn. So the boys wanted to watch Wheels on Meals, the Samuel Jackie and Yoon Biao film. Yeah. So I said, all right, let's, let's roll, man. I haven't seen this in a couple of years. And I remember it's fun. It takes place in Spain. They got the funky food truck. And it's, uh, it's good. But I'll tell you, it's one of the few films of theirs that there's more blue language. Not, not a ton, but there's more blue language than I'd like. There's you know, three or four shits that are said. There's a lot of, lots of hooker talk. <laughs> one of the like the main female character is a hooker slash pickpocket. Oh, nice! One of those blindsided moments with your yeah, children. Yeah, man, and it's like I'm like, please don't ask what a hooker is. Please don't ask what a hooker is. I mean, I was what's a pre- trick, Dad? What's a, what's what's a, a trick? John? Yeah, well, I was gonna say it's a girl that gives massages. Um, mm. and I just, I and then I was like, man, I hope they don't go to school and call some girl a hooker. <laughs> and like, where'd you hear that? Oh, my dad's movie. You know, but oh man, <laughs> could have been rough. But it was, uh, it was a good, it was a fun rewatch. It, it dragged a little more than I remembered it dragging. Um, you know, I've never seen it. It's fun, man, because like I said, the Spain setting kind of lends itself on. It's got one of Jackie's, I mean, legendary fights between him and Benny the Jet, and it's where Benny the Jet was kind of hitting him harder than Jackie felt. Like yeah, it's any, where the infamous where where, where Jackie didn't uh, didn't want to work with Benny the Jet ever Jackie again. Jackie did not fucking approve, and I think he blackballed Benny after that. But, yeah. uh, but I mean, it's impressive because Benny the Jet goes toe to toe with Jackie. Like, I mean, they're they're going quick. It's you know, it's got Keith Vitalian, another good you know, very very competent martial artist. So you know, it's uh, Samuel's got his perm. It's perm Samuel with a perm, which is always fun. You know, so no, it's a <laughs> yeah, cool I didn't one. Check it out, son. It's one of those, it's one of my. I guess if I had a list of shame, it's on there. Yeah, no, it's it's a fun one um, for sure. Uh, what else did we watch? Okay, those are all tiff tiff tiff. I watched one that Morris, good friend Morris, uh, had sent to me. You know, we had been talking about Israeli film some time ago, and I said, "Oh, the industry seems to really be picking up, and you know, it's kind of interesting to see films from the country." And he had seen a kind of heisty comedy called Hunting Elephants, and Patrick Stewart starred in it <laughs> alongside a bunch of Israeli actors. And uh, you know, he sent me a copy of the film. Um, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's not really, it's not really my bag in that it's kind of broad kind of coming of age, blue humor heist comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, all of the actors are great and there's some great faces and I would love to see them stretch their legs in something else that's more in line with what I like. But in saying that the film does have heart, it's fascinating to see the architecture and you know, what's going on, uh, in Israel at the time. So, and it's curious to just from a sort of observational standpoint to just kind of see how, you know, broad comedy is kind of universal, you know, like the the, the obvious kind of things that, that they do that you would see in a Western comedy or, you know, whatever the case may be. So definitely not bad, but, um, you know, typically not my, my cup of tea, but I'm glad he lent it to me or got it to me. Uh, next up was lunch with moms today. And, uh, she's a big Jack Nicholson fan as am I. And, Saw the Bob Rafelson directed and Michael Caine co-starred and the Dorf co-starred. So we decided to throw in Blood and Wine from nice. 1996. Uh, I'd never seen this one, obviously, but because of all those um, principles, I figured I'd give it a spin. It's good. Um, it, it suffers from that thing that a lot of the great kind of filmmakers of the 70s have when they you know, were working late in the you know 20 years on. Is that it, it feels a little bit anonymous, but it does still feel very competently made. Um I remember it being too long. It's not too bad. It's only an hour and 45, and it moves relatively well. It gets pretty dark. I mean, Kane and Nicholson are total fucking scumbags in it. 
It's very noiry. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez is okay. Yeah, I was gonna say, isn't Jennifer Lopez in that? I thought she yeah, was. Yeah, she is. She is. It's uh, the Australian actress who plays Nicholson's wife in it is quite good. Um, and the dwarf's fine. You know, I don't have a problem with the dwarf. So uh, yeah. yeah, he's a good actor. You know, he just he's he good. just picks bad movies. You know? He does. He, I think he believed his own hype a little bit too in the nineties. Uh, yeah, I think he thinks he's yeah. I, well, I still think he does. He, he's a little. I think he thinks he's a little too cool for school, but yeah, I agree with know. that. He's not that cool, but no, he's uh, not. I mean, in hindsight, then yeah, he thought he was the king of the nineties, but you know, yeah. not quite there, dwarf. But he's so, but he, yeah, I mean, but he's, he's solid. I mean, he's I, solid. I never really seen him in a movie where I, thought he's I haven't thought the, even you know I haven't thought that he was good, and he's he's always pretty okay. Yeah, no, he is. I, this was a good film. Uh, I quite liked it. You know, solid six and a half, seven territory. We, you know, uh, and then I just before we recorded, I decided to do um, uh, a Czech seventies version of uh, Beauty and the Beast. Oh, nice! And I know that you're a big fan of uh, that that story. I've never seen Truth Be Told. Speaking of List of Shame, I've never seen the uh, Cocteau version. Yeah, I love the Cocteau version, which I've always meant to see. Um, mm-hmm. But the reason I couldn't remember why I had grabbed this one. Uh, this Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it's, but then I realized once I looked into the credits, it's directed by Yuraj Hertz. Now, Yuraj mm. Hertz probably isn't a household name, but he he should be because he directed. He's he's a. I mean, I've only I think he's I've seen two or three of his films, but all of them are fucking tremendous. And he directed The Cremator. Oh, okay, yeah. Which yeah. which is a, a fucking tremendous film. A high, high, high recommend for me. Um, but this one's cool. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a gorgeous film. Very atmospheric stunning stunning kind of set this castle that the beast lives in the beast design is amazing it's really inspired it looks like uh and i don't want to i don't want to um discount it as being tacky but if i had to give you a visual it's kind of like the the scary older brother of the stage fright owl like it's very very much a bird okay Uh, but it, it works it works quite well yeah, I think that that story. I mean, obviously, it's been tied up into fairy tales and you know Disney Disney fied it and all that stuff. But I think that story originally it has a lot of room for a lot of pathos and it says a lot about you know humanity and stuff. And some of the great filmmakers have taken it on Cocteau, Borchek. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and there's a lot to be there's a lot to mine in that story. So Big. I know it's people always think of it as uh, I think whenever you say it, the first thing people think of is Beauty and the Beast, the Disney film, but so much, so much good stuff in that story. Oh, there really is. But I mean, this one's uh, this one's good, man. I mean, I, I was saying to Joe before we recorded, you know, when you get Czech films, you're going to get an interesting take on things. Yeah, being a, a Soviet country and kind of tied in with that and how they had to be subversive. You're also going to get a lot of beautiful women. Yeah, yes, you are. Which is great. Um, I'm trying to think. I think this the alternate title is. What is it known as? It's called something like the. I didn't. I didn't know this one existed, so I'm interested to see it. Yeah, I want to say they, another one of the uh, alternate titles is like the monster and the. I don't know, but it's Beauty and the Beast essentially. Um, I'd be curious what you thought of the cocktail one. Well, I, I keep meaning to see it, and then I keep meaning to pull the trigger on a blue on the Criterion sale, but you know, never quite get around to it. But this one's good, man. I really dug this one. It's got that dreamy. And that the forest is a really, really great set piece with uh, some carriages and it's kind of cliffside on this mountain. Or like it just, it's, it's a good film. I, I think, and I, I totally thought of you. I thought of CDR and 
for the people when I watched it. I and you know, of course, the beauty is good looking Czech woman. So yeah, that's why you thought of me in CDR. So. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> we remind you of hot Czech women. <laughs> yes, absolutely, man. Yeah. yeah. So you guys. I'll feel- take that as a compliment because I'm so you should. As am I. Um, so yeah, those are uh, all the films I've watched. So kind of a you know kind of varied bag. So mm-hmm. that's that. Why don't we take a break? Come be back. Talk about Borgnine's beard game. Talk about Marin Jensen's suede fringe game with uh, Wes Craven's Deadly Blessing. Sounds good. All right, we will be right back. This is Red Brown. <laughs> You're listening to Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. Bring me to Dakota! John! I see you in a lonely place. How can you be so blind? You're still regretting the love you left. film from 1981 deadly blessing which i had never seen truth be told and i think you'd seen a couple times or no i never seen it either oh nice yeah this was one of those rare occurrences where neither film we had seen neither before. film had, had been seen by us yeah so um talk i to always me. meant to see it and yeah, then I, think Sha- I think scream factory put a blu-ray out they did they did. And I thought, you know, it was on sale at one point. I thought, you know, I've never seen it. It's Wes Craven. Maybe I'll pick it up. But, I, I you know, I hesitated. Uh, you know, I think I'd, you know, not to give away what I thought of the movie, but I think I'd probably pick it up now. As would I, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, it, it definitely it's something I would watch again. No, I agree. But talk just for a minute, you know, again, because this is a bit of a tribute episode. Talk to me a bit about how Craven came into your life. I mean, I'm sure it's probably similar for a lot of us, but... You know, he died, and it was a bit of a, a surprise, admittedly. I think uh, felt like he, you know, he was seventy-six. Doesn't it's not that young, but he didn't feel that old. And I mean, he, he's a big part, I think, of a lot of our our formative well, yeah. years, right? 
Well, I think he's always been prominent in interviews and things, and and so you know, I mean, he was still doing interviews just you know less than a year ago, and everything seemed fine. So, I mean, he was older, and obviously that does happen. But I mean, to find out he had uh, you know brain cancer and you know passed away suddenly—that's that's, that's kind of you know kind of you know just it's just kind of freaky. You know, it's just one of those things where it just comes out of nowhere and hits you like a ton of bricks. The first thing I ever saw by him was uh, Hills Have Eyes. That was the first thing I saw. Mm-hmm. But I rented that a lot when I was a kid, uh, and this was before Nightmare, right? So it's funny because I would see that, and I think he did the sequel too. I'd see those films. I didn't see Last Night on the Left until I got much older because you really couldn't get a copy of that anywhere. It kind of it disappeared from video stores for a yeah. long time because it was, well, for obvious reasons, it was pretty controversial. And probably a good thing. I probably I probably was better off waiting to see it when I got older because you know it's very mean spirited. It is, man. And uh, all that stuff. Not that Hills Have Eyes isn't. It's pretty mean spirited too. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, Nightmare was the big one. And I, I have I, I had a you know, I I never have ever thought that Craven is like you know he's not the greatest uh, filmmaker. He certainly isn't a stylist. I don't think sometimes. I would say I think that's, Nightmare. Yeah, Nightmare gave him his best option for that stuff. Mm-hmm. But his other films certainly are are pretty not are pretty basic. Uh, his writing was always good, mm-hmm. and he seemed to he seemed to have like this ability to be kind of like a zeitgeist filmmaker. He seemed oh, to be the kind of guy that uh, you know he would disappear for four or five years, and then he would come back with uh, something that just hit the nail on the head again. Yeah, and then so. just kind of reworked the entire, like you said, he captured the zeitgeist, and and it was able to rework and deconstruct things uh, or reconstruct things in a way that we hadn't seen in some time. And mm-hmm. yeah, he, he had done that a few times in his career. And I think that's probably what I would say was his strongest thing. It's not his style. He wasn't a stylist. His work always did feel a bit anonymous, mm-hmm. but you know, he would come along and he would, he would put something out that really captured uh, specifically horror filmmaking and would turn on its ear. And then, you know, for 10 more years, uh, things would be churned out and, you know. Yeah, I mean, he essentially, uh, you know, created the uh, the fast talking slasher film, the the jokey slasher. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he created that. Uh, I, you know, I, even though I don't think that that was inadvertent, but it's funny because he would come back around and kind of re, kind of electrify the slasher in a way mm-hmm. with Scream, which you know, you know, whether you take it or leave it, I mean, it's still still the first Scream films, pretty solid in a lot of ways. Yeah, and, I agree. I agree. And, uh, I mean, I haven't seen it in ages. I'm sure. I don't know if it holds up as well. I probably haven't seen it since it came out, to be honest with you. Yeah, I remember being so excited when that came out in theaters because the 90s were a really dark time for horror. Oh, um, yeah, they were. If, I mean, listen, I love the faculty. I really do. I really do love the faculty. But for me to say, when people say best horror of the 90s, when I'm saying the faculty, if the faculty was 80s, like it wouldn't even crack the list. It's like yeah. Dream Team 4 or something. It's like, okay, like... You know, could yeah, anyone exactly. on Dream Team 4 crack the Dream Team 1 lineup? So I kind of feel like that with it, not to short sell it, because I do love it. I think it really needs to be seen by more people. It's fun. But we were in a time, yeah, where, like, you know, 90s were a fucking black hole. Yeah, right. Ooh. <laughs> a vacuum cleaner in the background. Nice. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I, I'm kind of the same as you. I mean, Nightmare was. I mean, I was always a, a Friday. Thir- uh, excuse me, a Nightmare on Elm Street guy versus a Friday Thirteenth guy. Which Which one are you more? Uh, I'm probably more of a Friday Thirteenth guy. But are I you? saw. You know, you got to remember. I don't. I don't. Which one did you see first? Nightmare. 
See, I think that I think you know you asked a question earlier in the group about nostalgia and the way things capture you as a child. Yeah, I think with time. slashers and, it's, and with horror films in general, I think sometimes it's it's uh, what you see at an early age. And uh, for me, you know, Friday Thirteenth was pretty a pretty big deal. Yeah. Oh, it was so. a huge deal. Yeah, I mean, I think it probably would have been. I think it's funny because if I would have saw like maybe Hell Knight or what was that other slasher we did from like or Madman first or something, I often wonder if I would be a bigger Madman fan than a Friday Thirteenth fan. Yeah, I don't know. You know. I don't think it's as good. I mean, with all due respect, Madman, we as we talked about, was solid, but Friday Thirteenth was something else, man. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a pop cultural type thing, right? You know, yeah. Jason kind of becomes a. You know, he kind of becomes a fun thing. It, 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 there's something about that type of slasher where, he, you know, he kind of becomes. You almost, you know, obviously, the best slashers you're rooting for the slasher in some ways. So yeah, and it's you know, speaking of nostalgia too. My favorite in the Friday Thirteenth series was the first one I ever saw, and it's still the third one. Right? Yeah, the third yeah. one. I love yeah, that. That's third. a good one. It's yeah. so much fun. I feel like it's gets slept on a lot, but I feel like there's so much that happened. It's 3D, so it's kind of like it's got. <laughs> It's got some of the, you know, the kind of camera tricks going on. But it's got some great kills. Yeah, the first four, the first four of those films are super solid, I think. Even five, maybe, right? Isn't I think No, I think it yeah, I think it might be no, is it five or is it six that people I think five is good and then I think six is where it starts to fall off. I can't remember if it was five where it falls off or six where it falls off. But some people swear by a five or six or six or five or whatever, but Yeah. Yeah, I like them all. I do too. I have no problem with Manhattan and all those. I mean, yeah, at that point. You know, you're gonna get what you're gonna get, but but even Nightmare, like I like them up to a certain point. I remember when Shosho did them, and they started to get kind of rough. I remember seeing five in theaters. I was excited because it was the first one I could see in theaters, and then I saw six in theaters. I remember still, you know, going to see Freddy versus Jason with my brother when we were in high school. I think it was, and that was a big deal. But I, I want to say I saw the first one. It was on Super Channel, which was like a cable channel here, and. Uh, you know, it was terrifying. I still think one is one of the most effective horror films, and I also feel yeah. like the, I, still, I still like uh, you know one, two, and three. I still like quite oh, a bit. They're great, and even well, see, I say four, but I have a lot of people say four doesn't hold up very well. But well, it's got the it's got the Rennie Harlanness to it. Yeah, well, it does, and it's got. I remember I was so pumped because being like a fucking kid that loved kung fu, and he's probably such a dork now. But the guy Rick was his name. He was yeah. like the, he was like he knew like karate, I guess, because there's that. When he gets killed, it's like Jason and him are in the dojo, and Jason, or Jason, Freddie and him, and Freddie's invisible, and you know. But uh, yeah, I I got to mute for a second. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I'll keep talking. So you know, for me, um, I remember the first one. I think it's exceptional. I I think as much as I like two or three, great practical effects are fantastic. I feel like one, it's dark, it's still unnerving, um, and. The thing with Tina and getting tossed around that room, I mean, that's really impressive stuff. I mean, you know, you can't just pull that off uh, without having a lot of pros involved in what it is you're doing. So, yeah, I mean, after that, I'm curious, you know, to rewatch four. I'm not in a rush to rewatch five or six or any of those, but up until four, I still had a strong affection for. I think four has the kill, too. I'm just going to keep rambling here uh, until Sammy comes back. I think four has the kill... With the uh, the Roach Motel, the infamous Roach Motel kill, which oh, what's that guy's name? And he goes by a name like Crazy Guy Joe, or oh, he did the screaming someone, screaming Mad Tim, or 
Oh, George, Screaming Mad George. Maybe that's his name. Uh, I'm going to Google it as we're talking. I think he does the practical effects for the, the Roach Motel kill with, what was her name, Brooke something. She was on Just the Ten of Us, the, the Growing Pains spinoff. Um, Diana Beck. I was just talking about, was it Screaming? Yeah, it is Screaming Mad George. I'm talking about uh, how part four has uh, some pretty good practical effects, so like the Roach Motel thing and... Yeah, yeah, you know. Screaming Mad George stuff, yeah. Yeah, but uh, anyway, so, okay, we can kind of move on from that, I guess. But yeah, just I was curious where, now, looking at his stuff, though, there's a couple of things. I should also say that, you know, Wes Craven also had a, he had a great name for, like, a horror movie director. <laughs> yeah, he did. Like, in a different age, he could have sold, you know, like, you know, and he did kind of sell stuff as Wes Craven's this, but. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a kind of a, it's, it's a weird name, so it kind of works as a horror name. Yeah, it does. Now, I had never seen Invitation to Hell from 1984. Have you ever seen that? Nope. Now, listen to this. Uh, the, the synopsis is a bit kind of lumpy, but a family moves to a suburban town only to be coerced into joining a suspicious club. So that's kind of whatever. But listen to the cast. Robert Urich, Joanna Cassidy, Susan Lucci, mm. Kevin McCarthy, who's always fun, Bill Irwin, Soleil Moon Fry, Barrett Oliver, nice. who was um, – the kid from Neverending Story, um, you know, and then you have some other names, but uh, I'm curious to watch that. And then one that I didn't know that he did, Total Change of Pace. You might have seen this, being a musician, Music of the Heart. No, I didn't see it, but I do know that it was uh, something that he had wanted to do for some time. That's Listen to this film. I mean, it's just so in stark contrast to everything else he did story of a school teacher's struggle to teach violin to inner city Harlem kids. But the cast, Meryl Streep, Cloris Leachman, Angela Bassett, Michael Angarano, who I like as far as young actors go, Aiden Quinn. It's, uh, it's interesting. I'm curious to watch that if, if for nothing else, then it's kind of a curio piece in contrast to everything else he's done. I've, I've heard it was uh, pretty good. Uh, people told me it's good. I, I've never watched it, but it's pushing to 6.7 on IMDb, which, you know, if you want to take, Oh, Gloria, Stefan, I thought that was her on the cover. Wow. Wow. So, you know, I don't know. It might be interesting to see just as a curio piece, if nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I was looking to see how much of his stuff I hadn't seen. And I've seen most of it, although I haven't seen a lot of his newer stuff that was kind of well-received. Like, I never saw Red Eye. And didn't he, did he write or produce? What was his involvement with P2? Did he produce? Uh, I think he was a producer on that yes, one. Was. Because that was, uh, what's-his-name's uh, buddy that usually works with him. Uh, oh, man, what's his name? The French filmmaker you like, some, we like so much that always... Oh, Aja's buddy. The, it's, I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's his co-partner, his co-producer who did uh, the Maniac remake, I think, too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Frederick. Not Frederick. Yeah, P- P2's good, man. P2's. I, I mean, it's not P2 great. P2's solid, and I heard Red Eye was pretty solid. Red Eye's good. I like Red Eye quite a bit. It's only, about, it's only about 80 minutes long, and it's it's just about close to a perfect uh, 80 minutes. It's, it's really good. I almost picked it, to be honest, this week. Um, I've seen like the opening 10 minutes a few times, and then I just... Mm-hmm. You know, I just I never. I mean, it's very it's very standard in some ways, but it's yeah. well done. Yeah, yeah, it's good. No shockers when I don't think it's going to hold up very well, but you know, I like. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that since I saw it the first time, and I'd be curious to revisit that someday. I've heard from a lot of people it doesn't hold up well, but I have pretty fun <laughs> no. memories of it. And yeah. Peter Berg, man, he's like the heartthrob in it. 
Yeah, he's he he did that in a couple movies in, yeah. in that time period. <laughs> yeah, good old Peter Berg, not a bad director. Well, not bad, but uh, you know. Uh, all right, so let's uh, let's get into this film. Um, let me get off all this. Let's get off the Berg talk. And uh, see, to me, <laughs> the synopsis on IMDb is amazing. For which? For Deadly Blessing, I want you to read it because uh, it's so amazing. You have to. It has to be read out loud. Okay, I will. I will. Let me get to it right now. Uh, here it is. Swamp Thing's a fun one, too, we should say. Oh, yeah, I like Swamp Thing a lot. Oh, man. Why do you got to use an exclamation point? I love the free- <laughs> I love the freeze frame of Ernest Borgnine in the video section just below. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this film is set in Amish country at a local farm where a woman's husband is mysteriously... I don't even want to say that's pretty spoilery. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's in the beginning of the movie, so yeah, uh, mysteriously killed by his own tractor! <laughs> Exclamation point! Yeah, I mean, it really doesn't have. Much. I mean, it has something to do with the rest of the movie, but not really. No, no, it's ridiculous. It's kind of a well. I'll, I'll get that. I mean, you can't talk. We can't really talk about the end, but 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 it, it it's really bizarre. The end but, is fucking bonkers. <laughs> I know it is. Really bonkers. Yeah, the very end is super Man. bonkers. Yeah. I don't know what's going on there, but anyway, yeah, it seemed like prosthetic. a good idea at the time, I guess. There's some prosthetic stuff that just kind of, I don't know, man. Yeah. It's, it's like they'd watched a, a camp set slasher and decided to throw some twists in. I don't know, but uh, let's uh, let's hear what you what you thought of Deadly Blessing. All right, so uh, this is also known as uh, I think it's one of Sharon Stone's first films. Too. It is a fresh faced Sharon Stone. She's very young here. She's been uh, eating spiders. Fucking. I think she uh, she was. Uh, I think she may have been dubbed a few times in the film because it didn't really sound like her. But yeah, this is very early. Not the very first thing she did, but close. Well, it's the first thing she got credited doing. So. Man, how about but, this guy uh, Jeff East that's in the film? How about his IMDb photo? <laughs> yeah, I know. I've seen him in a few things, uh, but yeah, he he. <laughs> I wonder if he's listening to the GGTMC in that picture. Yeah, man, he's got his earbuds in. He's got his—he's like, like the fifth blues brother, man. Yeah, he was uh, Huckleberry Finn in the Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer films in the early seventies. Oh wow! And that's what I know him from—is uh, that stuff? Because I was a real big fan of those uh, those seventies versions of those films. Yeah, yeah. I recommend them. People check them out. Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Nice. Um, and he did a few other things too. I think he was. Uh, the young uh, uh, Superman, the young Clark Kent in uh, the Superman film. Yeah, right. I saw that credit in there. So, but he didn't do a whole lot. He's he's still working though. It looks like he he likes the low fats. He sure so. does. <laughs> <laughs> did the day after as well. So yeah. this has also got like uh, what Susan Buckner in there and uh, a lot of faces that would be familiar to people. Yeah, Lisa Hartman, who's a TV Mary actress. I thought it was yeah. no. I, I like the women in this film. I think they're beautiful, and I think they. I think Craven does a really good job of casting a lot of the females. I think they they, they could pass as like sisters, like the three of them, the three sort of central protagonist females. I feel like they all kind of have a a similar look. Yeah, yeah. She uh she didn't do anything. Uh, Marion Jensen. She didn't do anything else after this. This was this was uh. The last thing well, she did. What she did after this was Don Henley, man. Yeah. She was Henley's girl. Yeah. She was also in that uh, one wacky film, uh, Beyond the Reef, from 1980, the one about the uh, uh, two kids that befriend a shark. Oh, and, man. Uh, is that the one where the shark is like a spy? 
and it's no, not. You know the one I'm talking not, about? No, it's not that one. Oh, it's someone a, who's in that George C. Scott's in that shark film where the shark's a spy or something, and he's trying to. Day of the Dolphin. Is that the Day, Day of the Dolphin? Dolphin? It's a dolphin, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like spy shark. She's good. She's unconventionally beautiful. I agree, a hundred percent. She has a vulnerability, I, mean, I think, that really works. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, you get to see a lot of her in the movie anyway, because yeah. you know. Problem with that, at least a Hartman, film, right? man. <laughs> yeah. Hartman getting down. Yeah. Well, there's a twist there we can't really get into. Yeah, so. Two snaps and a twist, everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Got the Peter Berlin going on. Right? Yeah. Maybe that's too much. Of it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh man, gotta get changed uh, with that coin purse. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, some other people show up, uh, like I said, and then Borgman is the heavy, but Michael Berryman's in there, uh, a few other people, but Borgman is the main heavy, and Borgman. he's devout, man. He's a devout uh, Amish <laughs> individual. Yeah, he is. He is He is all about the brimstone. <laughs> yeah. I've been around a few Amish people in my life. Uh, I've never met anybody as uh, kind of grumpy as these guys. No, but, they're usually uh, pretty, pretty easygoing, man. <laughs> Yeah. They may be a little quiet, but I mean, he's yeah. They may be a little quiet. They don't really judge you out loud, though. Oh, he's straight yeah. grumping, man. Yeah, these are extreme. Amish. <laughs> these, <laughs> they are. You know, they're like uh, heavy metal Amish or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I know. I didn't count, but I, I, this movie does have to have the record for the most times the word incubus is said in it. I would say that's a that's a pretty fair statement. There's <laughs> yeah. even a moment where Michael Berryman's running across a field screaming it, and I'm just laughing because the way he's running and stuff. It's amazing. He is another awful runner, we should say. Yes, yeah. he's a bad one. Yeah, he's he's not good. Yeah, he looks great, but he doesn't run well. No. It's weird that some of the characters in this have a southern accent because I think it's set in like the Midwest, and it I don't should know be right, why. Pennsylvania. Yeah, some of them had a southern accent, and that was strange. But you know. <laughs> I don't know what the well, I think Lisa Hartman and and her mom I think actually both had Southern accents which was kind of a bizarre Obviously. choice but Lois Nettleton it was her mom yeah. yeah yeah which I think I've seen her in something I don't know what else I've seen her in but I think I've seen her that's little whorehouse in Texas well yeah I remember in that but there was something else I think again really good casting because Nettleton, I may have had a crush on her when I was a younger man Nettleton younger looks like she could be the mom of Lisa Hartman yeah she does she does but again really I feel like the women were really well everyone's pretty well cast this is a well cast film yeah it is he got a really good cast for this i mean and, you know all things considered and and it holds up well everybody acts pretty well in it. yeah there's, there's not no really funky performances no there's not any real bad performances in here at all no. i mean some of the dialogue is a little corny but you know again it, that's not that, that that's not that bad i mean it's 1981 so yeah um it very much feels like an 80s slasher in a lot of ways with the lighting, the score cues, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though it's technically not that type of material, uh, but it kind of is. It's weird. It's kind of like a, a hybrid in a way. It's still early enough that I'm, I would forgive anything it does that seems to follow the beats of the genre. Because 81, I mean, Friday the 13th is 79. You know, you're, this had to yeah. be production in 80. Yeah, most likely, or you know, early eighty-one. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of that soft focus stuff. You know, you get that Vaseline lens oh, type thing. I love it, and I think that it works really well. I think in this film, especially, I love the way it's lit, and whether it's, you know, I think certainly a factor is when it was shot. But I just think that I, I would, you know, hope that maybe you know Craven was pro enough to 
to shoot this way, but it's like that whole Barry Lyndon thing where it's all like not, not all natural light, but it feels like a lot of it has a soft, almost like a candlelit glow, which because it's an Amish community <laughs> makes complete yeah. sense. You know, it's not kind of stark floodlights, which is good. Right. Right. And I think it works well yeah. too to have a campfire kind of feel because of the the mythology, um, you know, faith, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of mixing both of those. That's why it's not like a you know a full born slasher, probably, but no, because it's got some of the you know faith based stuff in there and kind of you know set on this open land, Amish country and stuff. It's kind of got a different feel. Although I'm pretty sure there's no tarantulas in Amish country, but no, you know. If you have arachnophobia, though, this movie's not for you. I mean, it's got some pretty Ooh. freaky spider moments. <laughs> it does. It sure does. <laughs> One of my notes here was uh, the females in the horror movies don't give a fuck about peeping toms. No. They just don't care. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a great peeping tom in this one. It is. It's great, man. Except, uh, yeah, that, that, and then there's a great kind of a point of view, almost like a... Not a point of view, but the there's a shower that gets like steamy. Like, it's like the fastest steamiest shower I've ever seen. Yeah, they got like an inside. Like that hot water heater is working overtime, man. Man, big time. <laughs> Out in the yeah. farm country. Oh yeah, no <laughs> doubt, man. Um, it does kind of feel like in a, in a weird way. It does kind of sometimes feel like a warm up for what would come next for Craven. I would say that's a fair statement, and I'll tell you what really feels like the warm up is that's an accurate statement because there's a few shots and sequences that he did in this, that he has used in other films, like the most obvious one. And I think it works tremendously. I don't blame him for going back to well with it because at the time, it's, he great went, shot, yeah. it's a tremendous shot is the between if anyone who, and most people I'm sure have seen nightmare on Elm street, the infamous between the legs bubble bath shot of Heather Langenkamp is, was here first. And it's a, it's just a tremendous sequence. Yeah, it's very good here. It's, it works really well here. It really as does. Well. Uh, even though, you know, I'm pretty convinced you would know if uh, a reptile was in your uh, tub. You would, yeah, one would imagine that. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think it matter the blink of an eye or anything. I think once that thing got in there, I think you'd know it. <laughs> I don't think Calgon takes you away that much. <laughs> no. that, that you don't know that a reptile is now in your bath. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, it does feel like a warm up for you know things that would come next but it, you know it, it, it is obviously it's you know it's three years until you see until you see the same stuff some of the same stuff in nightmare but um if you look at some of the other stuff in between swamp thing and some of those things and stuff you'll see some of the same stuff i think yeah um there's some other weird moments in the film that's like some consistency stuff like i think there's some like uh the shoe, I think it was found. They found it in, a, in like a hayloft, but I thought it was in the chicken coop. I don't know what was going on. Yeah, someone was getting worried. They had to move it around, man. Yeah, that's why uh, I, I get. I'm guessing that's what it was, probably trying to hide it, right? But I would agree that there are some things with this film that feel a little bit muddled at times or confused. Yeah, like I think, like I don't yeah, think they're structured very cleanly or clearly at times. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I feel like there's like stuff added in here that doesn't need to be uh, the ending is a good example the uh yeah some of the uh some of the spider stuff maybe not so much but i understand why it's there um you know again i think there's a very lean movie here but just didn't really show up uh but i i don't think this is bad i I should say that i don't think this is bad either um 
what is uh, here? We got uh, you know, but uh, Borgnine or whatever, he gives it his best. I gotta say that he never drags ass. No, nope. he's always one hundred percent committed. <laughs> oh. And even though the beard looks bad, uh, it looks good on him. Somehow he pulls it off. Yeah, yeah, he looks. And I, of course, you know he's he's got you know he's one of those guys that's gifted with the uh, you know the kind of looks where, you know, he can do a lot just with, you know, his eyes widening a little bit, right? So Oh yeah. <laughs> he's got some great scenes in this though. I mean he really he really passes it off. Now, he comes through the doorway like already just in fifth gear every time. Just yeah. he he's like just so angry the moment he's in the door frame. Yeah. I agree. Hey, at one point, uh, one of the characters asked another character to go see a film called Lassie vs. Godzilla. I mean, it can't be that sinful to go see that movie, right? You would think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they never follow up on that, unfortunately, though. Unfortunately, Ends up being another yeah. film. And that that's one of the moments that, that seems kind of bizarre because they don't follow up on that. And I think maybe it was a joke and maybe I just didn't get it. But then there's also that, that full paint can of red paint for target practice, which is a bizarre choice. It looks cool. Yeah. Yeah, I but, know, I know. I mean, who who does that for target practice, though? You know, it's a hell of a mess. Yeah, I would imagine it would be. I don't. Uh... I mean, it looks amazing. I agree, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things, right? No, it's true, man. <laughs> it's it's silly, and but the throughout the thing, it's silly, but in, it's in it's kind of like that. It's not like silly in like a over the top way, but it's silly in kind of a. <sighs> I don't know. It feels like it's trying to do some things. I feel like toward the end, they start running out of ideas and they just start throwing twists and turns and all kinds of stuff at it. Uh, that, you know, to try to wrap it up and try to get it in something. And I don't think they needed to do that. I think the basic story was good enough. And some of the other stuff that was done didn't need all that uh, stuff toward the end. I mean, you know, you know the stuff I'm talking about. I sure do, yeah. Um, I like the first twist, but I didn't need the second one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first twist is fine, but it, it the the second twist is, you know, at that point I'm like, okay, now you now you're losing me. But thankfully, it's close to over. I mean, it's interesting. I just don't feel like it fits. Yeah, no, that's fair. I think that's fair. I'm okay yeah. with it, but I think that see this this is kind of like the Hong Kong structure where it opens strong, yeah. ends strong. It's bonkers and strong at the end, but the middle yeah. is a bit like you know saggy, flabby middle. Yeah, but I mean, you know, the the female the the, the female actresses in the film are good, and they can't be. It's and, never boring. Uh, I, I no, it's not like it's 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 hacky. I just think you could probably shave ten minutes off it and make it even tighter. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like some of the stuff is like you know, like they made it. They're like, wait a minute, this doesn't have enough scares in it. We need you to go back and punch it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the stuff that they did to punch it up kind of made it look kind of silly in some spots, but I still I still think it works. Oh yeah, but yeah, that's that's all my notes. Okay, nice. Um, I think that one of the things I find very fascinating too about this is the whole it's it's you know religions talked about a lot in in horror films, but it's typically from a standard good versus evil, very extreme sort of devil. Type thing, and I think that the clashes of cultures—that is, the Amish community with a more standard or conventional society—I find that very fascinating. Mm-hmm. I think yep. that a, com- a community very separate from ours. You know, you saw this a lot in the '80s. Like, what was it? Witness. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, the Amish were featured a lot in films in the '80s. I feel like 
Um, well, anytime, anytime something is not, it seems like, you know, quite understood. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, it's ripe for this type of material. Yeah. Yeah, no. So for sure. the uh, Scientology horror film. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, it's only a matter of time. It'll, it'll be a while, but it's only a matter of time. It'll come up. Um, and I think, too, just the mistrust over what you don't know is kind of the thing that you see here. Um, I'll tell you what, though. <laughs> Michael Berryman fucking hates oil paintings. <laughs> he really does. He fucking he's, hates them. He's much more a watercolor guy, evidently. Much more. Man, I'll tell you what. Like, he is the arch nemesis of, of Bob Ross. <laughs> I mean, it would be, it would be, you know, a showdown. <laughs> he kicks, he kicks an easel like nobody's business. <laughs> he does, but he fucking hates, hates it. Um, oh man, <laughs> he goes berserk, man. He really does, oh, man. Holy, um, <laughs> it's I a love, great moment, though. I mean, it's oh, one of those man. moments where I just, it, it, it's, I would show it to people just to get a laugh. It's, just, yeah. it's great. It's so it just it's so it's a it's like an Italian movie thing the way he turns it up so much. <laughs> he brings the thunder, yeah. man. Um, and I like too that it was locals versus locals in some ways. Like I think they established that the family's been in the community for a while. Like the, yeah. uh, when I say normal, I don't mean any disrespect to the Amish, but I'm saying normal by sort of conventional society standards. And mm-hmm. to simplify things here, I feel like I like that it's that, and it's not. The fucking city slickers, city slickers versus like the hillbillies, which is so stupid and tired, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like and I, it, for me, it's like you know the stuff they do in the beginning to kind of get the narrative going, it, which is basically said in the plot synopsis about the tractor and everything else. I feel like they could have held off on that for a little bit longer. Yeah, yeah, they did. Because I found that that guy, I think that was wasn't that Colt Seaver's, uh, wasn't that Howie from the Fall Guy? Might have been good looking guy. Uh, he, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, I thought that uh, I thought that you know he could have stuck around a little bit longer because his character was interesting, right? Because he was former Amish, right? That's so. right. I agree, and I think that it's a shame he doesn't. I think it would have also packed more of a punch. Mm-hmm. And then you don't, ha- and then maybe the middle doesn't sag as much because it, it that kind of evens things out as far as then you have all the women around. And it's not that the women are boring, but it's at this point there isn't a whole lot for them to do other than things to slowly get ratcheted up. Whereas if you mm-hmm. have his character die later, yeah, it definitely, I think, it balances things out. Um, but yeah, that soft kind of fo- you know, Vaseline lens stuff, kind of reminiscent of Carrie. And I think I think of that, too, with um, Piper Laurie, with the house and all the candles and everything. You know, it works quite well. Um, this, I think, is one of his, Craven's strongest, you know, as much as we say he's not really an auteur, a lot of his films do have strong visual stuff happening. Nightmare on Elm Street... You know, it's really technical marvels in the film. There's some great stuff in this. Um, it, you know, it works quite well. Um, it wasn't Howie from the Fall Guy. That was another guy. I could have swore it was Howie from the Fall Guy. Yeah. But it wasn't. It looked just like him to me, though. Yeah, I know, for sure. I like that a lot of the tense moments in this, they take place in the daylight. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's just a wise decision when you can pull that off with your film. Well, the farmhouse always works as a, it does. As a plot element, right? Great. Because, I mean, you know, it's remote. Yeah. Yeah, no, it works well. You know, And, of course, the cops, you know, they, they're never, you know, much help in these small rural communities. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. They're useless. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, Stone's a baby face in this, as we talked about. 
And it's man, missed an opportunity for a tractor slash horse buggy chase. Yeah, they totally did, man. With a potential Amish market fruit stand knockover. That would have been good. That would have been good. That would would have added that. Amish furniture stand. (laughs) Good, man. Tables getting busted through. Um, (laughs) Some well-made Amish tables. So the cops do have a great line. They say, these boys eat brimstone for breakfast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, they take that. I mean, this is easily, I think, the most extreme Amish people I've ever seen in film. I I don't think I've ever seen anybody as devout nor as uh, angry. As these Amish folks, yeah, no, for and sure. And really, it's only it's really only Borgnine and uh, Michael Berryman's father character. Yeah, most everybody else is kind of just like you know. Chill. Well, we gotta listen to him. Mm-hmm. And, and then, I, there's another angle I wish they would have worked on more was the the, the kind of cousin angle. Yeah, kinda, yeah, yeah, you know where they got the cousin set up for marriage and stuff, and yeah, with the Jeff East character and stuff. That stuff's in there, and it's interesting. And I wish it kind of was in there a little bit more. It's funny that the Jeff East uh, cousin and the outsider girl angle is kind of, I feel like, in a weird way, breezed over sometimes. Oh, but yeah, I think yeah. that that might be some of the more interesting stuff in the movie, too. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. Um, there's a, a hand-whipping scene. I think, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here I like with the community and the Amish. Um, and I think the Red Mustang is a great kind of thumb in the eye. Like, you know Borgnine must have hated that car. Oh yeah, that's everything that you know. Like, it's like the Borgnine's character would hate, right? It's oh, loud. It's, it's you know bright. Right, it's the color of the devil, and yeah. You know. And the women never. The, we should say the, the female actresses never wear bras. Oh, it's yeah, it's outstanding. I like though. I think that Craven does a pretty good job with the females in this film. Like, yeah, they're they're vulnerable, but they never feel um never feel helpless. useless or helpless. Yeah, no, I agree. Which I like. I like that. I know he focuses on those. Doesn't have to have a guy coming in. Only after like Stone's character goes through a bit of a trauma, and then she turns into a bit of a lush or something for a little while. Yeah, she does, man. She's into the Bartles and James heavy after that. <laughs> yeah, that fuzzy navel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what do we got here? Knife in cave. Oh. There's a, a great. I love the moment when speaking of the the couple, the kind of outsider, the girl, and then the guy who's kind of between two worlds, Jeffy's character. I love the stuff in the car with the knife. Like oh that, yeah, the yeah. glint on that blade is as good as any glint in any giallo I've seen. Yeah, I mean that is a that is a strong. Let's let's say Craven has a strong glint game. He does. His glint game is strong, man. <laughs> then we get the fire start though, and. Uh, I gotta say, man, Homegirl pulls the George of the Jungle move, and <laughs> she cannot reverse to save her. Well, literally, <laughs> to save yeah. her life, man. Yeah, literally. Oh. Uh, <laughs> we get some red milk consumption, which is pretty barfy. Yeah, that's Be- gross. Because whenever I see red milk, well, I don't see red milk frequently. I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> I hope I don't see red milk. You're gonna say, man, what's going on up in Canada, man? Jeez. And you guys take that maple leaf flag too seriously, man. Yeah, get the red milk. <laughs> but I, I probably said this this on the air before, but I love chocolate milk. And yes, I'm with you. I don't know where I had heard this, but for probably about five years, I deprived myself of chocolate milk because someone had told me the reason <laughs> chocolate milk was made ch- <laughs> chocolate milk was that it was the milk that had like blood in it and imperfections. So they oh. put chocolate in it 
to mask that so you didn't see like streaks of red or like purple or gross shit in it. Oh, so that's, for, that's a that's a mean trick, man. So for five years, I would not drink chocolate milk. And maybe not five. It felt like five. Probably two or three years. And my mom loves chocolate milk. My poor mother, I got her whipped up into a frenzy about it too. <laughs> we wrote getting subs because we like to eat subs. And I, yeah. that was the thing, man. I get my sub sandwich and I get my chocolate milk. And we were getting subs one day. I said, Mom, I said, don't get the chocolate milk. And she's like, well, why not? <laughs> I'm like, well, you don't know what's in that. You don't want to know. <laughs> you and don't want to know. <laughs> and then I told her the story. And she wished, yeah. So then for two years, like maybe three, two, three, four, five years, my mother and I didn't drink chocolate milk. Oh, that's crazy, man. That's that's an urban legend I never heard. Yeah. There was like, I could just picture like blood in the milk. And it was just, yeah. you know. So yeah, I mean, well, it's milk, gross, right? I mean, I, I don't like uh, hair in my milk. I don't like... Uh, I like my milk to be close to perfect. I think, I mean, you've talked about this before. You know, you have a, a thing where you don't drink the milk when you eat cereal. No, I still don't. My kids don't either. I've passed it on to them. Yeah, and I do. But it's one of those weird things where, you know, I, I wear facial hair. I've wore facial hair my whole life. And, uh, well, not my whole life. I didn't come out of the womb with, <laughs> yeah, with a man <laughs> you know, a goatee and a, you know, Father Guido Sarducci yeah, mustache. Jackling like Jim know. the Anvil out of the womb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But. Uh, since I could, I have, and when one of my mustache gets real thick or my beard gets real thick, I'll be drinking milk, and a hair will fall out into the milk Ooh. out of my mustache or out of my beard or something. And when I see that, I t- I'm totally repulsed. Even though it's yours. Even though it's mine. It just totally repulses me to know in that black hair and that white creamy milk. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe you could, there's probably a lot of psychological things <laughs> going on say, there. But... Man, I guess you're not down with the cream pie then. <laughs> Uh, I'm not averse to it. I'll say that. Yeah, there we go, man. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I get so grossed out by drinking milk, and I was very discreet. I never tried to pass it on to my kids because I wanted them to drink their milk. Yeah. Well, I mean, some people, it's just that way, right? I know some people who don't eat all the cereal. They're they're just, like, so obsessed with the milk. They can't wait to get to the milk. So they'll eat the cereal just for a little while until the milk gets nice and saturated. Then drink the milk and dump out a lot of the cereal. That's so strange to me. Mm-hmm. That's so strange to me. The only, I found it, the milk the only reason it, why I found it strange when you brought it up to me was because me and you are both big fans of Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, man. That milk is, is probably the exception to the rule. Yeah. If you're going to drink And milk, I, I thought to myself, well, if he likes cinnamon – I mean, this is just my way of thinking. Yeah, if he yeah. likes the Cinnamon Toast Crunch, he probably likes the milk. Well, that would then be, I, When I was up there with you, we had some Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and I noticed you didn't drink the milk. Yeah, that would be the only time I have on occasion, but it's mm-hmm. like a one in three where I'm feeling a little bit you know, adventurous that day. But – <laughs> I've gotten around to it more now because I drink coconut milk and almond milk with my cereal. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's a little more palatable to me for some reason because I think part of it's a psychological thing now, which is silly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, same thing with me. If I see a, even if it's my own mustache hair or my own beard hair, I, I like have a, you know, like I, I mean, I literally have like a physical reaction. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So drink chocolate milk. Keep the beard trimmed. We're good to go. Yeah. And but let's let's make sure we give the other pro tip. Don't drink red milk. Don't drink the red milk, man. Don't. <laughs> uh, see, now I'm not even gonna want to drink, and I'm not that I drink it anyway. But now I'm not even gonna want to drink like the strawberry quick in my milk. Yeah. Not that I do anyway. You know, I've never been. A, you know, yeah, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I'm not a strawberry fan. I hate. I don't like strawberry flavor or anything. Ooh, wait, even real strawberries. Even real strawberries. Oh man, I eat strawberries every it's, day, man. Yeah, I have, like it's a flavor. It's a flavor that I just can't hang with. I'm much more a blueberry guy. I can, but I'm more with blueberry. But strawberry, I don't, I don't. What about like strawberry jam? No. 
No, not even strawberry jam. I don't. I don't like anything. You name one thing. I mean, here, here's the thing, dude. Here's the th- and this is a a private thing, but I think our I think our listeners like to hear this stuff. Every yeah, time. yeah. My wife will buy Neapolitan. I was about to ask you about Neapolitan right now. She'll ask, she'll buy that on purpose because it's the oh, one yeah. ice cream that I won't touch. You don't even need around it. You don't need the chocolate and vanilla and leave the strawberry. No, no, because the strawberry's in there, and I don't like the flavor of strawberry so much. I'll avoid the whole thing. Oh man, that's called biting off your nose to spite your face. Where I'm from, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. But it's actually a pretty, it's actually a pretty smart move on her part because it's I have a, no self control with ice cream. Oh no, I hear you, man. It's a brilliant play on her part. <laughs> yeah, because you know when we first got married, obviously she'd buy the Rocky Road, she'd and buy the mint chocolate chip. You know, yeah, all all the good stuff. And you know, then when she realized that if I had ice cream in the house, I probably wouldn't eat anything else. <laughs> she started buying. She quit buying the stuff. Regular man. And I had the, you know, sad Sammy face walking around the house. That man. The <laughs> when I saw the Neapolitan up. ice cream, it was like, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, no kidding, man. Oh, wow. I was going to ask you about that. But it's just, the, it's just the strawberry flavor itself. I don't like, I just, you know, there's certain flavors I think people don't like. Like, I know people who don't like garlic, which is a, oh, is a, man, is a nightmare. Of garlic. Yeah, I know, because well, garlic would be a nightmare, right? If you didn't like garlic, oh. I mean, hell, almost everything I eat has garlic. Garlic and onions, so. man. <laughs> yeah, no. got to come correct. So, but strawberry is one of those things. I just have this kind of repulsive kind of. I just don't like. I don't like the smell of it. Nothing. So, is it safe to say that your hate for strawberries runs so deep that if Prince's song was Strawberry Beret, you wouldn't like it as much? It's safe to say that. Yes, <laughs> I am so, a bigger fan of raspberry. <laughs> do you do get down with the raspberry? You can name any other fruit in the world, and I'll eat it. Any any other jam, any other anything. Now I don't like I don't drink raspberry milk because I don't think there's such a thing. But <laughs> no no no. But uh, yeah, I mean I won't. Yeah, you, apples, you know, uh, cherries, blah blah blah. You know, do we, just we go on and on. I'll eat all of those. I as a lie, there's no fruit I won't eat. Even like you know jackfruit and all yeah, these I mean, things. Kiwi, but, everything. Oh, yeah. I'll eat all I, of those. I, okay, here's a thing that was going to gross some people out. I'll tell you right now. I in the past year we've started eating as a family. And this is going to gross some people out. We eat the kiwi with the skin on it. Oh, nice. Well, that's, that's, it's, I've it's seen people do that. loaded with nutrients. And it I thought you were going to say like head cheese or something, which oh, is man. like, you oh, know. My in-laws make their own head cheese. And I think I've told you before, the smell in the house is the worst. But <laughs> yeah, head cheese is gross, man. I won't get down with head cheese. I'll get down with a lot of things, but I will not get down with head cheese. Yeah, head cheese is disgusting. Terrible. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not that odd. I know people that do that. It's good though, man. It's really good. Yeah. And I even I know people. Eat... I know people who eat uh, roasted peanuts who eat the shell. Oh man! Yeah, they, they just put the whole peanut. Shells. They just put the whole peanut in their mouth and just chew them up. See, it's roasted peanuts. Do they have boiled peanuts where you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's more of a southern thing. I would get excited to go to gas stations and get boiled peanuts. They don't have them here. I could eat nuts all day. And yeah. that's not a that's not a play on the Peter Berlin stuff we were talking about earlier, but that's the truth. I could eat walnuts, cashews, almonds. I could eat that stuff all day long. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I'm I I don't I don't really care for chestnuts or uh, walnuts all that much, but yeah, walnuts I, I like cause they get get make, but they make me really thirsty. So yeah, man, nuts. Yeah, they, I think we get the the GGTMC uh, Pro Food Tips this week. We do, man. We totally do. <laughs> I'll, I'll finish off the review with this. I love how insane the last 20 minutes in this film gets. Yeah, I I, figured, I think the difference in this film and our ratings is going to be, I was thinking about this when I saw it. I thought, Will's going to like the last 20 minutes of this more than I'm going to like the last 20 minutes of this. It's I so, do admire where it goes. Yeah. 
but it doesn't feel like a natural progression though. Yeah, it no, it doesn't. It feels it's, like a it's it like a ghost like house three. Progression. <laughs> yeah, it's a ghost. But but I mean, I admire the bonkersness of it, and as a standalone set piece, it's I really like insane. it. But yeah. for me, you know, obviously, I you, anytime the supernatural stuff starts creeping in, I start to get a little, you know, a little not not that I'm totally against that because I do think some of that stuff works, but. I think in this film it establishes itself as one thing, and then all of a sudden it goes in a different direction. It's like they, you know, like I said, it's like they had notes for Craven saying, "Look, this movie's not scary enough." That's right. It's yeah, yeah. And then they get the Sammy side eye when they start pulling those moves. <laughs> and how about the? I mean, most of the stuff in the back end is fine. It's really just that last like two minutes. The floorboards, man. <laughs> yeah, the floorboard moment is like okay. I don't really know what you're going for there. That was insane. But, like they get the. the just from a technical standpoint, though, the floorboard thing looks good. Oh, you yeah, know, yeah. The, the, as a clip, those last two minutes are awesome. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I love. Yeah. I, you know, if, if it's a standalone clip, I think though, I mean, it's impressive. I re- rewound it and watched it. Should say, you know, for those who don't uh, have the Blu-ray or can't get it or DVD or whatever, whatnot, this is on YouTube, by the way, and Amazon Prime. So yeah, there you go. Uh, so you can see it quite easily. So there's a pretty good cat fight at the back end too, man. It gets yeah, knocked yeah. down, drag out, which I like. Um, my last, I think that when it comes down to it, my favorite thing about this movie is the way the female characters react to everything. I mean, it feels more real. It doesn't feel like a bunch of damsels in distress, even though they are, you know, half nude half the time. Yeah. Which I don't really know if. I mean, my wife always laughs at me. She's like, you know, when a bunch of girls get together, they don't sit around and drink alcohol and wear negligees. I was like, well, in horror movies, they do. In horror movies, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. In horror movies, you guys are, you know. <laughs> tickle fight time. Yeah, yeah tickle fights, negligees, Bartles and James, you know, all that Wicked, good stuff. Good times. <laughs> lots of fucking, lots of bush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I got one more note, and it's it's a very um, esoteric joke uh, about sort of 90s hip-hop. <laughs> But I got to say it, um, I looked at the cast, and I see that um, Michael Berryman's character name <laughs> is William Gluntz. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say, man, it's like Lord Tariq and William Gluntz instead of <laughs> Lord Tariq and Peter Guns, but wow. you know, that's what it that is, is, Lord Tariq and William Gluntz, man. A deep cut you might, there. You imagine Berryman in, 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 in like spitting a verse, man? Oh, I could, yeah, I could see him with a Kango and a big rope chain. Yeah, the rope chain's got the shell toes, no laces. Yeah, the shell toe Adidas. Oh, yeah, man, I could see him. Yeah, that'd be wicked. Wicked. Berryman's an interesting guy. I never really I have ever even. Michael Berryman. I'd love to see Yeah, I mean, obviously, he's always going to be, you know, Mike, he can't do anything but Michael Berryman type roles, but, I mean, he's not a he's not a bad actor, but, you know, no, I don't think so at all. Cast. I don't think so yeah. at all. I think he's, he's really well cast in this, but I, I'd, yeah. I'd like to, I, you know, I really would like to. Uh, I'd like to maybe talk to him. You know, he's, he's a really interesting guy. Yeah, seems like he would be. Um, okay, I'll get into the MVTs and the make or breaks and stuff. I'm, I'm, I, while I'm saying this, I'm having this image of Steven Tyler, Run DMC, and Michael Berryman doing the Walk This Way dance. <laughs> yeah, he's got the pork pie hat on, man. Yeah, wow. With yeah. Jeff East in the background blowing Trump or something. <laughs> yeah. you know, not Trump, blowing trumpets, not blowing <laughs> Trump. <laughs> oh, my God. Making America that's, great, man. One blow That's a different. Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a lost Peter Berlin film, maybe. Oh man, I'll tell you what. You, you imagine all those. You imagine Trump face at that moment. Oh yeah, isn't this great, everybody? 
<laughs> oh man. Uh, okay, so my MVT, I like the three leads. I like all three of them, uh, and I think yeah. they're handled well. They're not, like I said, they're not, uh, you know, helpless females like in a lot of horror films. So absolutely, I like that quite a bit. Make or break. Uh, I like the bathtub scene. It's really good. I mean, it's a bit of a cheat because there are some other good scenes, but I mean, the bathtub scene's so good though. It is good. And, you know, it works. It still works. I mean, like I said, once the, you know, the snake thing happens, I think to myself, okay, well, you know, <laughs> I think you would know, but still, it still works. It still works. It does work. and, and by the way, we should say homegirl goes crazy on that snake. <laughs> Man, she really, I'll tell you what, she does go crazy. In fact, I just she thinks that's like a that's she's like she turns into Michael Berryman with an easel. Man. <laughs> yeah, she totally <laughs> does, man. I just heard a story in the news the other day. I don't know if you heard about this. I think it was in Ohio, maybe, where a woman was in her car reversing it in the driveway, and a spider was on her shoulder. Her kid was in the back seat. Her kid was nine years old. She freaks out jumps out of the car while it's still fucking driving. Yeah. And the kid had to like get in the front and try to maneuver and he hit a tree. I mean, he's okay, but it's like, yeah, no, I read about that. I read about that on like uh, MSN or one of those news sites. I was like, what the, hell? I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't like a spider on the shoulder as much as anybody. I mean, I really don't care for that either, but I'm not going to jump out of my car. Okay, yeah. Come on. What are you, the fall guy? <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not going to pull a, you know, I'm not going to pull a, you know, a crazy stunt, you know, uh, you know, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, damn, I can't think of his name, a Hal Needle move, you know, yeah, to get out Hal of the car from that spider. Boy, the arachnid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm just still thinking like, of We're going to do a roll and tumble here, guys. <laughs> if I can think I'm Hooper. Oh, man, speaking um, of Hooper, I, I, I'm still impressed with that, that Trump low job, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a Hooper, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he keeps his pants on, just unzips his fly. <laughs> yeah, he strikes me as that kind of guy, Yeah. Probably got a probably got a comb over down below too. Uh, <laughs> watch, we'll probably end up. He'll probably end up. This will be the one time he listens to the show or something. <laughs> yeah, gets sued by Trump. Fucking right, man. Um, my score for the film six and a half out of ten. I think it's a good movie. I just think it's it's a mess. I think it's uh, it's it just got some stuff in there that doesn't belong, and I felt like it was kind of like punched up or something. I feel like. He had one film, and I feel like you know people got involved and made tried to make it another film. But I do think it's very watchable. Six point five. Yeah, no, I would agree. I it's would good, agree. and I think it's you know my make or break. I'm going to go with the finale. Yeah, I can I, see that. I love because the... it will make or break it for some many people. Yeah, it will. <laughs> it will. But I... it literally is a make or break. Yeah. But he executes that bathtub scene perfectly. Yeah, I mean he it's does. a fan. it's it's and I have to say like listen, I'm a guy. I'll be honest. It's a sexy scene, and it's also very perilous as well. It's just yeah. it's executed. You can tell where his fetishes lie, what kind of shots he likes to see in photos. Mm-hmm. You know, rest in peace, Wes. But it just it works. He executes it so perfectly. But I'm going to go with the finale. Cause yeah, Wes, Wes may have been into that stirrup porn. <laughs> yeah, we're back to that, man. <laughs> yeah. Probably back to the gyno porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's amazing. Uh, MBT, I'm going to go with the setting. I love the setting. I love this whole, you know, the Amish, this kind of uncertain uh, culture uh, or group, this faith, you know, and how it kind of, in this case, kind of clashes with um, more conventional uh, farm country, you know, people. And I really like that. My score is a little bit higher than yours. It's a 7.25. Um, oh, yeah. 
you know. I could see that. I mean, I feel like, you know, like the supernatural elements and things like that, that kind of stuff works better for you than it does for me. Yeah, it totally does. But I think a 6.5 is fair. And like you said, I think it's a solid 6.5. And there's a lot going on. I think this would be a good disc. Like, I'm with you. I would buy the disc for the right price. I think there would be enough. Yeah, I'm going I'm, I'm to pick it up. I, I hesitated to buy it back on. So did I. Time, but I'm going to buy it. Something and like it's that. crazy, man. Both films are weak this week on our show are really underscored on IMDb. Like, this has, like, a 5.9 or something. Like, no, it's not that Or 5.5. This is better than a 5.5, man. Yeah. Like, just, just on the technical merits alone. Yeah. But they obviously haven't seen Turkish Star Wars. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or what was that other one we didn't like recently that we saw? That uh, was it a City of Pirates or whatever it was? Oh, what a... Oh, man. What a disappointment that one was. Yeah, it was a French film. I, and I, I almost, I just want to say, too, as much as I had picked the setting for the MVT, I really did, was really impressed with the female leads as well, which was your yeah, MVT. Yeah, they were they're really good. I mean, it, it's not, this is 81, so I didn't, you didn't see a lot of that uh, kind of, Mm-mm. you know, stand up for themselves kind of female characters. No. no Most totally. of them were just screaming naked. Um, yeah. You get the nakedness in this, but you don't get the... the screaming. Yeah, they, I mean, they're not totally helpless. No. Well, at least our lead is in any way, I should say. Yeah, precisely. Precisely. So, okay, nice. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back uh, with the with the bad pack. <laughs> we'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, eh, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. (laughs) But don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. It's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life, or maybe just help you kill an hour. Bad Pack, 1997's Brent Huff Jam, with uh, a cast of uh, GGTMC favorites, I would yeah. say. Uh, this, for all intents and purposes, really is Seven Samurai. Now, I talked th- talk about you know our films having uh, really under like really low scores. This one has a 3.9 on IMDb. Yeah, I don't know if it's that bad. 
No, it's not that bad at all. But uh, neither one of us had seen this. We picked it as a tribute to Piper. He's part of a team in this. It's an ensemble. It's a guys on a mission film. What? Uh, well, I guess I'm 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 leading on this one. I was gonna say, what did you think of this? Um, yeah. So yeah, I got this disc from uh, from Good Pal, the Red Waffle. And, uh, the Red Waffle. The Red Waffle, man. I'll talk about the cast here because I think it's a really fun cast. You have Robert Davi as the uh, the leader, leader of the Bad Pack. The uh, bizarrely named McHugh. McHugh? <laughs> McHugh. Uh, Roddy Piper as Dash Sims. Ralph Moeller, who's always fun, uh, as Kurt Mayer. Yeah. Now, the interesting casting choice here, Larry B. Scott, the yeah, effeminate. That's, that's an odd choice. That is an odd choice, I guess. He's fine. I mean, he's unfortunately given the short shift in terms of material to work with, but I think he quits himself. He's as given, well. you know what he's given? He's given in modern times, he's given the Kevin Hart role. Oh, absolutely. He's absolutely. not, you know, obviously as you know, aggressive as Kevin Hart, but. Essentially, it's the it's that role. He's yeah. the comedy relief slash heart of yeah. the team. Totally, I like I always like Larry Scott only because you know I was a big Nerds fan as a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His character in Nerds is you know the the uh, the specialized uh, javelin is still a favorite moment. Oh, that's priceless. <laughs> it is. It really that's is priceless. Um, this has Brent Huff, of course, doing uh, in front of and behind the camera. Now, yeah. not only now. We get into some of the uh, some of the heavies in the film. Marshall Teague, yeah, who GGTMC favorite. Uh, Jeep Svensson, he shows up early on in the film as Missouri Mule. Yeah, he's only forty years old when he died, man. Oh, that's you know a lot of heavy uh, steroid abuse and yeah. That guy was a guy was a (laughs) just like a hunk of meat, man. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know for sure. I, I don't know. Did, did he? Did I mean? Was that what he was known? I know he was a wrestler for a while. Is that what he? Uh, an arm wrestler too, I think. But power lifter maybe. But was it? Was it known that it was uh, steroids that caused well, his early demise? I know he was into powerlifting and Ray. He was a wrestler for WCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I guess that was only for one pay per view. Because he, I mean, he had he had the look right. <clears throat> so yeah, he did. You know what? I shouldn't. I shouldn't uh, speak out of turn. I, I'm assuming, it, but he was also six four, man. Yeah, big that dude. tells you how big Ralph Muller is. Yeah, Ralph Muller is huge. But Svensson, yeah, it's, he was. I remember him as Bane, of course. Uh, yeah. You know, but I don't know. Either way, man, it was way, 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 way too young. It's, yeah. it's crazy. But you know, he shows up, and I wish he had a, a bigger part than he did. Uh, Sven Oli Thorson. Yeah, Another yeah G- Marshall Teague's right-hand man. Yeah, his right-hand man, Conan's dad. And uh, then, of course, we get, we get Vernon Wells showing up. <clears throat> and whenever I see Vernon Wells outside of his Road Warrior garb, uh, it just I don't recognize him. He Yeah, he's in this for like a hot minute, though. He's not in it very long. Yeah. I mean, he's just... I wish like, he had been in it more. Yeah, yeah, he brings a certain kind of crazy to everything. He, does, <clears throat> so. he totally does. Um, and that kind of rounds out the cast. I mean, there's some other kind of familiar faces. Uh, I think, oh, what's his name? Shows up, guy I hate. Um, Clifton Collins Jr. shows up for a bit. Yeah, he doesn't really, he's not really anything in this except maybe the, uh, like, the young, kind of worried. Yeah. 
immigrant. I mean, he doesn't really have any of those, you know, super annoying Clifton Collinisms. Oh, I, I just I can't stand Clifton Collins. I just can't. I'm sure he's a nice guy. Sure, well, I don't know if he is or not, but you know, yeah, some actors know. just don't compute with people, and I think he's one that doesn't work for you. Him and Ben Foster, although I've come around on Ben Foster, I think he's a pretty good actor. But um, so yeah, I mean, this is a this is a you know pretty pretty solid cast. Uh, Hof Hof Huff directed this, wrote it, and stars in it. So I put his think, wife in it too. Oh, is the blonde his wife? The German? Yeah, uh, is she? Yeah, Sean, Sean Huff. Not my toe. Oh, yeah, fuck, I do. How did I not put two and two together on that one? <laughs> yeah. Man, yeah. I, yeah. I uh, not much of a detective. Um, now she's I, fine, but I don't really, I don't really care for her character. I don't like, I don't really care for her character in the film that much. She's okay. She works well enough for me, but um, sorry. I, I thought the the her and the Ralph Muller angle was kind of odd. Yeah, it was. It was kind of needless. I felt like, but. You know, uh, but again, I think it's working off of as much you know Seven Samurai. I think it's working off of Magnificent Seven as well. So oh, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So it's kind of putting both those things together because I believe in my. I haven't seen Magnificent Seven in a decade, but uh, I believe there's one of those characters that kind of falls in love with a local or falls in love with. Well, he doesn't fall in love with one of the other seven. That would be amazing. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if Charles Bronson and Steve McQueen had a you know. <laughs> A tickle fight. Yeah. I'd be down for that. That'd be the MVT for life. They're rolling but, the uh, hay, man. <laughs> yeah. The shirtless yeah, wood chopping. <laughs> and then if we could get, you know, Ernest Borgnine in some stirrups, I'd be down for life, <laughs> <Yeah>. man. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be making America great, man. Yeah. Talk about seeing some Peter Berlin bags. <laughs> oh, man. I bet you, yeah, I bet you Borgnine's got a huge sack. He has oh, to. yeah, I bet he did, man. I heard he was a, he was a uh, masturbation enthusiast. I think he said he loved. Yeah, it. yeah. Oh. They they asked him one time in his nineties, you know, why what he thinks the secret to longevity was, and he said masturbation. Yeah, he loved him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I got to tell you this, man. There's few people in the world I would want to catch masturbating. Yeah. And he's definitely at the top of that list. I would not want to walk in on that. <laughs> man. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet his wife was was just thick, man. Like uh, like cream mushroom soup or something. Just, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're earnest, man. Rest in peace. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but he he loves this, this film. Could have used some more. This film could have used some Borgnine. It could have. It could have. I don't. I feel like they. Well, I guess Piper's as close to Borgnine as the film has. Yeah, I mean, in some ways. I like Marshall Teague in the movie. Marshall Teague's a good heavy. He's always he, a good he heavy. is always a good heavy. Yeah, he he you know he brings it. He he's in some truly awful films, but I mean he's always. Well, he's always Marshall Teague, pretty much, but that works because he's got a very serious face. Uh, <laughs> the, the tank top's not doing him any favors in this one. But no, compared to everyone else, no. <laughs> no. So, you know, that's not helping him any, but, you know, at, at the same <laughs> time, though, he, he's fine as a heavy. Him and Ole Thorson are fine as, like, the leaders of this military yeah. group. But yeah. For some strange reason, though, this is one of those films where, and I don't know how you feel about this, I'm going to let you talk about it, but... This is one of those films where I feel like the cast is so strong, and yet it doesn't – they don't quite gel for me. Yeah, I don't know. They worked pretty well for me. I, I felt like um, Huff <clears> – <throat> Huff's directed a lot of stuff, and mm-hmm. I didn't intend for that to rhyme. But Huff's a pretty – like in my <laughs> eyes, he's a pretty competent filmmaker. Like he knows how to go from A to B to C to D, and he hits, hits a lot of obvious beats, but he hits them competently. Right. Um, so – 
it worked well enough for me. And I think I was in the, maybe it was just the mood I was in. The film worked just fine for what I was expecting. I was expecting, when you hear my score, I was expecting it to be able to point lower for sure. But it, it, you know, it was a pleasant surprise for me. I, I had fun with it because I felt like, you know, the cast had a fair enough amount of fun. Like I said, it was competently directed. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> and I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think the direction's a problem because the action's good. The bike, yeah, the, the action's pretty amazing. good, man. The stunt stuff's yeah, the, good. Like it, it, it's for direct to video action. I think it's, it's as, I don't want to say as good as it gets, but from a technical standpoint, yeah, some of the delivers. car and motorcycle stuff is good. It's it solid. is good. It absolutely is. And the film doesn't waste any time. I think it's pretty pacey, and we get lots of hot licks and training montages right out of the gates. Yeah. It just has – it's it's one of those movies where – we always talk about this. There's a fine line between those films where, you know, you get the odd choice. Like in Hands of Steel, the odd choice is, you know, we got this truck stop arm wrestling matches. Yeah. I mean, that's a weird choice, but it works. In this one, the weird choice is Robert Davi wears a uh, – Civil War era hat. I, I didn't understand what his fixation. I think it looks ridiculous, frankly. It, it does. It does. It, Civil it, War it, era it, hat. It feels like an actor showed up on set. Yeah. And he's like, you know what? I think this character would wear this hat. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just I thought it was such a bizarre choice, like. And you know, it, it, and wear. he stops wearing it for a long time, but then by the end, he's wearing it again. It's very strange. No, I like Davi. I think Davi's great. I think he's got a charisma. Um, yeah, I like him. I like him. I, he's he's a little over. I think he's not having as much fun. Yeah, I think he's a little over serious in this. I like him, but I think he. It almost feels like he's playing the heavy. Where you know, like the scene between him and Teague should be amazing, and yeah. it's it's okay, but I don't think it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear. You. I, but but the the diner scene with Davi is nice. That's a good it's scene. Good. That's that a very a good, scene. good scene. Also, we should say Davi's got a strong tuck game, man. That guy will tuck a shirt in. He does. He, he, he will not show up not looking like he's dressed for business. I mean, yeah. he, he's one of the few action stars I've ever seen in khaki pants and a black mock turtle top. Yeah, turtle, he, uh, oh, turtle man, I know. I can't believe he gets down like that. He's got the dad wardrobe on. <laughs> yeah, full no. effect, man. Whereas Piper always shows up double denim for life. Double know? denim or, or flannel and denim. Like he's. You know, no, he's man, working I fucking love denim shirts, man. He did. I don't, boy, he's Canadian. I mean, it's in his blood. It's in his DNA, man. Yeah, from DNA. where he's right. We should, we should tell everybody he's right from where you're from, right? <clears throat> yeah, I'm pretty sure he went to – I went to two different high schools. I'm pretty sure he went to one of my high schools. And so did Mike Myers and Jim Carrey. Yeah. Which is interesting, yeah, because I think Jim Carrey and Roddy Piper both went to the same high school that I went to, Stephen Leacock. But the, my, my main high school, named after a first prime minister, so Johnny McDonald – was where Carrie had went for a short time, and that was my main high school. So nice. interesting, yeah. But Piper, um, love the double denim. Um, Teague, yeah, he can do shit heel in his sleep. I mean, he just—it's just. It's just it's, yeah, he's a master. I mean, he's like one. He's like one of the great, uh, you know, heavies. I mean, he's just—you he, know—as time's gone on, more and more I realize Marshall Teague is—you know—he's tailor-made to play heavies in uh, any type of movie, but t- really. Uh, you know, low budget action movies. He's made for that shit. He's it, it was what he was going to carve a niche for himself out of because I know there's um there's, I want to say it's an Isaac Florentine film or it's like a Delta Force type film and he's the isn't leader. Isn't that the, the one? Guys. Special Forces? Isn't that the Special one that uh, Fabian sent us? Yes, that one's fun. Yeah, he tell he's one. He wants to be one of us covered forever. Maybe we should do that. Sometime. We should get Fabian on. Yeah, and yeah, do some uh, Special Forces. Do some yeah. Do some Teague. Um, what does this say? 
And for those oh. who don't know, Marshall Teague, a lot of people might not know him, but I'm, I'm sure a lot of our listeners do. But for those who don't know him, uh, you can go back and listen to our Roadhouse episode. But he was the heavy henchman to uh, the main, to Ben Gazzara in Roadhouse. Yeah. And it's it's one of the, arguably one of the great 80s heavies. And he utters the line for a heavy, an 80s heavy. The line. Yeah, I mean, it's like one of the greatest lines I mean, it's it's amazing to me that line exists in that it's, movie. I would say it's probably the best line in in Roadhouse. Oh yeah, ever. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's, it's what well, certainly the best. I mean, it's it's right up there with Rosebud for me. Yeah, it is, man. <laughs> Speaking of all, it's it's fitting that you say Rosebud because, as yeah. we know, Marshall Teague used to fuck guys like Patrick Swayze in prison. <laughs> yes, exactly. Amazing. I was thinking about Ernest Borgnine and them stirrups again. Talk about a Rosebud. <laughs> oh man. Blue tulip, man. <laughs> hey, Ernest, you got your bag tied off. Here, man. Oh man. <laughs> um, speaking of which, there's a guy in this Lieutenant Lieutenant Fredrickson. I wrote down Lieutenant Fredrickson. That? I don't remember what their names were. I only oh. remember Dash, and I remember. Uh, well, that's all I remember. This guy, Lieutenant Fredrickson, he went to the. Uh, Steve, oh, what's his name? He went to the Steve Railsback school of cops down on their luck because... Oh, <laughs> I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> the Mexican dudes show up trying to find... The guy something. that advertises in the paper. <laughs> he advertises in the paper. He shits with a bottle in his hand. <laughs> he, he has the best line in the movie for me. And he's, and then someone says something... Oh, yeah, he said, yeah I know what you're going to say. If you run into someone that smells like a dill pickle, tell him to get his ass in here. <laughs> Yeah. It's amazing, man. It's one of those moments where we're like, where did that come from? You know, I feel like it was improvised or something. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. How about but Dobby? I, I like that. I was like, when you need, you know, when you need mercenaries in, in modern times from a small, you know, immigrant <laughs> town in Texas, you just go to the paper and, and look for mercenaries in the local ads. That's it, man. Oh, my gosh. Did you know? Oh, it's a TV show. Oh, man. I got to send you the cover for this. You are going to shit because there's no way you had. I didn't know this existed. There's no way you knew this existed. Oh, my goodness. What is it? Is it, is it something with Piper? No. No. No, you're going to see it right now. You said TV show. I thought you were talking about that, uh, you know, that Jesse Ventura, Roddy Piper TV show that was a pilot that, that didn't get picked up. Uh, called a thing. I can't remember what it was called, but I think it was called Tag Team. Oh my god. This looks so amazing. Hang on. This makes for good podcasting, but I'll post it in the group. <laughs> um I'll keep talking as we're as we're going here. Um Davi, oh Davi, how about that move? Not only does he pull a it pulls the dude down a bar, but he also throws him out a window. <laughs> yeah, he's not going to get it, you know. I mean, I know he saved the day in there from uh, those thugs that were looking to rob that's, that that's, very high-end diner. That's such a classic, uh, like, dick-swinging like, hero introduction yeah. moment. I don't know if he's going to be allowed back in the diner with his damn uh, hat and his uh, tuck game with <laughs> that know. throwing people through windows shit, man. I know, man. I know. Um, I think the film's edited pretty tight. This film's under 90 minutes, so, I mean, you know. Yeah, it, it moves pretty good. Huff keeps it moving. Um, I would have loved. This is the kind of film I'd love to hear stories from, like the casting crew. Oh yeah, you know some shit was going on. 
Yeah. Oh, totally. You just know it. Totally. <laughs> uh, some crass jokes I could tell right there, but I'm not going to. Oh, I bet. I'm going to send you these two photos right now. They're... With Vernon Wells on set, anything could happen. Anything goes, man. Um, yeah. Davi's in it. Oh, you know what I love? Is... Uh, Oh, Piper, uh, you know what? Oh, we always say this when we talk about Piper films. Piper has that kind of easy camaraderie that people like Burt Reynolds has with his co-stars where it was just a likability to the relationship. You know, he, yeah, he this sells is, it. I, I agree with you completely. This is what I think made Roddy Roddy Piper special. He is always a, and this is what made him a great wrestler too. He's able to make the <laughs> other person look good. Yeah. He, even that actor you don't care for in this, in that role, the crazy wacky character, I think some of that stuff works because of Piper's reactions. Oh, it's bad. because of what totally. Piper brings to it. Yeah. And uh, and Piper makes Davi look good. He makes everybody look good. He, he's he's the kind of – I don't know. I don't know what he was like personally because, you know, obviously I didn't know the guy. I mean, I only know what I know. Most people said he was a nice guy when they met him and, you know, very happy to meet his fans. But yeah. what I do know is he – I never felt like there was any real vanity with Rowdy Rowdy Piper. No. Like he would – you know, if him and – you know, he could easily play the superhero and like they live, but you know, he gives, in my opinion, he makes uh, Keith David as interesting as as him by being his partner and stuff. Is it Keith David or David Keith? It's Keith David, right? It's Keith David, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he always makes whoever he's around, <laughs> I think, uh, that much better. So oh, yeah. He brings that, and you're right. And to this group, I think he brings that. He has, for me, he has the most charisma in the group. And that's not because I'm a huge Roddy Roddy Piper fan. That's just because I think he, I think he has more charisma. I think Davi's fine. I think he has nice charisma and stuff. I think he's usually better as a heavy, but um, I think him and Piper together, there should have been more of that. I wish there would have been more of that. Oh yeah, no, for sure. Um, I love the kind of dick swimming, dick swinging, macho moment of the bike, like the dirt bike versus the uh, was it a Porsche he had? I can't remember now what what sports car he had, but. Uh, but when Davi and uh, and Piper are racing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. It's like the one in Black Rain with uh, with Michael Douglas on the motorbike. So ridiculous. oh yeah yeah, <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh, every crew, like I love you know I love the team assembly sequence. You know where they're going to get like get out of the, like the honky tonk bar, and I love all that stuff. Um, but I love how every crew always has like a wild card type. Like they yeah. they literally pluck this guy out of an institution. <laughs> he's running in a hospital gown <laughs> yeah yeah it's outstanding um they're like the beatles getting off the plane here i gotta tell you that's one of the weirdest things in this movie i i don't i don't i mean i get that you know you hired some mercenaries and stuff but <laughs> do these guys have like tv shows or something you know yeah, it's i mean ama- it's amazing man it's it's one of the weirdest moments. I mean, talk about a moment of weirdness in a movie. I mean, it's not like you know, it doesn't really stand out, but it's one of those moments where you sit around thinking to yourself, you know, I know these people are here to help you, but do you really cheer them on? I mean, I don't really remember that. I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen to Seven Samurai. Maybe the immigrants and or the the Mexican people in uh, Seven Samurai were very thankful for them to in, show or in Seven Magnificent Seven. Seven. Yeah, yeah, to show up. I know they offered them food and all these things, but yeah. uh, you know, I don't think they had a like you said a Beatles uh, oh, <laughs> appearance amazing, on the runway. Man. It's amazing. It's bizarre. And they get like the slow-mo walk too. Yeah. 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 It feels like, it feels like, you know, that feels like a Brent Huff moment. Yeah, it totally is. Direction, obviously. He's like you said, he's only in the film a little bit. 
Yeah, and he's he fine. You know, the, the issue with Brent Huff has always been he's kind of vanilla. Yeah. No, he is. But he, he is. You know, but he's I've smart enough to not film. give himself too much time, right? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I've seen him in a few things. And, you know, obviously he's not he's not terrible. He's not real bad. Oh, I mean, oh, Strike Commando 2 is not as good as Strike Commando, but it's, oh, but he's good in it. Yeah, he's fine for sure. Larry Scott, the thing I don't like about his character, not about his character, the thing I don't like is that like every chance they have to humiliate his character, even to the point where they're cheering everyone that comes off the plane except for him. It's yeah. just like, come on, man. Like, it just gets yeah. to be too much. It's um, a little silly, I know. I love, uh, yeah, I think the characters are all likable enough, too, which, you know, works, you know, testament to Huff and the people he's assembled for the film. And the action at the back end is really good. It's very competent. Um, yeah, I just, it works quite well. For, I think for the kind of, what, what this film sets out to be, which is a Magnificent Seven, Seven Samurai Riff, directed video with a bunch of Hey, It's That Guy action supporting players, I think it works perfectly fine. Yeah, for that, I agree. I agree. I don't think it works as like a, you know, like a, uh, well, as we like to call it, like, you know, a GGTMC type classic type no, thing. It's not no. like, it doesn't quite reach that level because it doesn't have enough of the kind of ludicrousness that it kind of needs for that and that's that kind right. of commitment to that. So, I agree. A hundred percent. Is that all your notes? Yeah, man. I don't really have much more to add. I mean, I, I enjoyed most of the things you enjoyed. I think you liked Davi more than I did, but I did enjoy him I because he, Davi, you know, like yeah. I said, his, his wardrobe choices, the guy likes to smoke. I mean, he's a good, he's a good on screen smoker. He is. Uh, I think he's a real life smoker too. I would have, liked, um, we always say this, but I would have sort of cut you off. I would have liked to have seen him in Euro crime films. Yeah, yeah, he was, you know, he's made for that kind of stuff. He's made for that stuff, and any directors that cast for face, you know, like, uh, he would have been good in Spaghetti Westerns, he'd have been good in Euro Crimes, he'd have been good in, uh, he, he'd be good in some Coen Brothers stuff. He would, they would, he would, or Mamet. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, he is a really good actor, don't get me wrong, I mean, he is a good actor. I mean, I, I think for a while they were trying to, you know, or he was trying to kind of up his game in Hollywood a little bit. Uh, you know, he played the heavy so much because of the way he looks. Mm-hmm. I think he was trying to play the hero a little bit and some stuff, and some of it worked, some of it didn't. I know he's he's wasn't it in uh, Maniac Cop Three we watched? Was it Maniac Cop Three? Yeah, he, was, the he lead. was. Yeah, he was good in that. Mm-hmm. He totally yeah. was. But he he's always good. I mean, even in bad movies, I, I tend to think he's good. I've seen him in some really I, bad comedies, and he's good in those. I agree, a hundred percent. So, but yeah, the, the, I like the motorcycle stuff, and I I liked. There's a there's a nice training montage at the beginning. It's very GGTMC, we should say. It's oh yeah. The uh, the uh, the Liberty, the People's Front. There is, <laughs> you know, they got the nice. I got some good training going on. Nice little karate fight. Brett Huff gets his ass kicked. Uh, but yeah, I don't really have a lot more to add, man. I, I like the movie, but I don't. You know, after seeing it, I don't know if it's one of those ones that you know, like it's not like Hands of Steel, or it's not. I mean, obviously, it's not that level, but it's not. Like, if I have, you know, people come over, like, you know, let's say, you know, you never saw it. Let's say you, Tanner Banana, and Kelly should come over yeah. to my place, which would be pretty hard because we all live on across the whole continent here. Yeah. But you guys come over. I'm going to throw Raiders of Atlantis in. I'm not going to right. throw in the bad pack, right? Agreed. Or, the final, or you know, to pump our own stuff, I'm going to throw Final Score in, right? That's right. Which you can get on DVD. So from, yeah, from uh, Diabolic uh, DVD as yeah, well as other from Diabolic DVD and other places peaks. and uh, with a commentary by yours truly and the other yours truly on the other end there. That's right. We promise no Borgnan sack talk on the commentary. No. Or, or Trump blowjobs. Yeah, that'll be the next release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, 
But no, I, I enjoyed it though. I don't think it's uh, well. I certainly don't think it's a three point whatever it says it is on IMDb. That's ridiculous. I certainly don't think yeah. it's that. And I do think it's above average. I don't. I, I think it's perfectly fine. I, well, I agree with your statement. Your statement pretty much wraps it up for you know a straight to video movie directed by. I mean, that, that's a lot of qualifiers, but it's it's true for a straight to video movie directed by Brett Huff, starring a bunch of hey, it's that guy actors with a plot that's you know completely ripped on or a plot that's been used you know, over and over again since Kurosawa made Seven Samurai. Uh, it works. I, I do yeah. wish the, the Mexican immigrant. I wish they had a little bit more personality. I would agree with that, yeah. They are pretty cut and dry. Uh, the, <laughs> the, there is a one funny scene where they said, when's the first time you shot a gun? And he said about an hour ago. That was Or something thing. like that. That that was funny and stuff. But, I, I you know, I felt like they were they were almost so helpless. It was a little unbelievable. Yeah, well, I think it's said because um, Miles, not Miles, jeez. Uh, Marshall Teague. Marshall Teague had so many men, I guess, in town. And I think because Huff was conscious of it being an action film, keeping it under 90 minutes, he probably didn't want to give them any time because it would have felt like it dragged. Want yeah. to give the hero moments to, you know, to the people. Well, I, I'm sure with the low budget and everything else, he probably only had all those guys on set at the same time, like maybe – like a day. Yeah, no kidding. Because if you think about it, there's only a few scenes where everybody's together. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, it's either Piper and Davi or Davi and Scott or, uh, you know, Brett Huff and Davi. I mean, there's there's a lot of moments where, you know, like Ralph Muller and and, uh, and his wife, uh, there's, there's, just, there's moments where a lot of the characters aren't together. So, you know, in the world of low-budget filmmaking, that's not a surprise because a lot of times, you know, you pay somebody – you know, five grand, they do two days of work. Yep. And you got to cram all those scenes in, you know, because so you might only have Piper like, you know, a day or two days and, you know, who knows? So it feels like Marshall Teague stuff was all done on the same day. So, yeah, it could very well have been. Because <laughs> it feels like some of the scenes were done with him suited up and the other scenes were done when he took his shirt off and he has a yeah. uh, wife beater on underneath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that guy fucking hates immigrants, man. <laughs> he is. Yeah, he is a total piece of shit. He fucking hates ill-equipped grocers. Yeah, man, he he does. He has no time for it at all. <laughs> no. At all. He, he doesn't, man. But yeah, that's all my thoughts on uh, the bad pack. I, I mean, like I said, I think it's good. I just don't think. I certainly don't think it's great. I I, I wonder when Paul, because like, I know Paul. You know, he you know he kind of sent it to me and stuff. I wonder what. Well, I don't really know what he thought of it. I, I don't know. I didn't check letterbox or anything. I, I know yeah. he liked it though. So. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, make a break. I'm going to go with the assembly of the team. I always love those scenes. Yeah. They're always fun. Not, um, not in Expendables 3. Expendables 3's got one of the worst ones I've ever seen. Thankfully, I've not seen it. Yeah, that, that's that's really a shame, too, because, I mean, that, that, you know, has all the makings of assembling a great team, but it just comes off as poo. That's not good. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with the cast. I think the cast are fun. We wanted a guys in a mission film with guys that we like. On a mission, we get that. My score is a six. Ooh, gotta charge that phone. My score is a six point five. I I really like this one. I had fun with it. I think for guys on a mission, low budget direct to video, a lot of qualifiers. It works perfectly fine. Yeah, I think if you're into this kind of stuff, I think you'll be fine. Like you know, if you're into you know fist to B list type material, things like that, I think you'll like this film. Oh yeah, uh, it'll give you it'll give you the right kind of entertainment, right? So, uh, my make or break. Uh, 
Yeah, I'll go with the recruitment scenes, too. That was the stuff I liked, although I did like the scene with Teague and Davi. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but I did like it quite a bit. It's always great to see actors like Marshall Teague and Robert Davi get, you know, a scene to chew on. Big time. You know, it's a very, it's a dick swinging moment, too. You know, they're serving up tequila, they're playing cards, you know, a little blackjack, you know. Oh, that's a great moment, man. Yeah, it's pretty good. My MVT is Marshall Teague, man. I like him a lot in this movie. I, I know I don't know if I gave it to him. I don't think I gave it to him for Roadhouse. I think for Roadhouse, I can't remember. I'm sure I probably gave it to. I don't know who I gave it to. Swayze. <laughs> yeah, maybe I don't know. Maybe I gave that one to Marshall Teague too because he does have the shark tooth. He does. He comes correct. That, yeah, that's that. You know, usually a character's got a shark tooth. There's a strong chance to get an MVT for me. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that's. Yeah. Uh, but I, I liked him a lot in the movie. He's he's very charismatic. He he plays this role well, and he does his job. But I like the cast, too. I mean, the cast is good. I just wish there was more of them together, more brouhaha scenes. I, I like some of it, but there's just not enough of it. Yeah. Uh, my score is a little lower than yours, 6 out of 10. I think it's perfectly very passable. Very fair, yeah. Breezy entertainment. I think the title's bad, though. i got to say. It is a bad title, man. I don't, Unintended. Yeah. yeah, I know. I, I just don't think Bad Pack is a good title. Bad pack. What would you yeah, call it? Bad pack. I mean, it just <laughs> it doesn't work. You know, you'd be better off calling it the six pack, or better calling it the nasty hero. Yeah, or the uh, <laughs> call it the Berlin sack, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know? there you go. <laughs> the Borgnan sack. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's all my thoughts, man. So. Good stuff. So. Thank you, everyone, uh, for listening to us talk about uh, all sorts of things from blood in the milk to uh, <laughs> Borgnan in the stirrups, <laughs> Borgnan in the syrups, and everything in between. Um, next Ooh. week, uh, we're going to come back with, uh, I was going to, what's the word, Octi- octogenarian? Is it possible that Borgnan may have had a discolored taint? Man, he probably did. <laughs> <laughs> he probably did. I know you had to think about that for a second there, yeah. but I know. <laughs> probably did. I know that image. <laughs> Jeez. Ooh. Yeah. Would you rather smell head cheese or Borgnon's taint? Head cheese, I think. <laughs> I can't get down with that. Do you yeah. think one tastes like the other? <laughs> oh, say they might. That's a strong possibility. Which one has the stronger possibility of lint? <laughs> well... You, you, know, you never know. We're just taking his, his underwear off a lot to, to stroke it. Oh yeah, you know, you know, you know he went. Clarence Carter, man, he's like yeah. Clarence Carter, strokes it. Yeah, you know he went commando all the time. Probably at the Oscars, he was commando every time. Probably got the old Borgie hog uh, ready to go. <laughs> the Borg hog. <laughs> yeah, Borg hog, man. <laughs> That's amazing. I wonder if he oh, trimmed like the beard on the set of uh, Deadly Blessing. <laughs> Yeah. Wonder if he had one of those around his sack. It's a horseshoe, weird. man. It's a horseshoe. <laughs> we should say we love Ernest Borg now. We, we love don't mean any disrespect. Yeah. We love him to death. So we absolutely do. Well, uh, easily, just, one of, easily one of my favorite character actors. Yeah. Well, he's one of the greatest actors, character actors of all time. He's I love him. Love. But you know, he's just easy to his name and you know the way he looks and stuff. It's just easy to poke fun. Borg hog. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Um, uh, all right. So next week, we're going to shift from uh, Borg Hog to uh, Stray Cat Rocks. Street Hogs. To Street Hogs, man. That's right. Uh, Stray Cat Rock series from Arrow. It's an Arrow episode. So uh, someone a little little more uh, 
rough around the edges than Borg. Now we're going to go to Miko Kaji. Yeah, I've never seen any of the Stray Cat series. Uh, Arrow put out a box set, five films. Nice box set, man. I was hoping we'd get to cover these. And I've seen maybe two, maybe three of them. Uh, They're fun, and it's going to be great to talk about them and see them on Blue, because that 60s Japanese stuff and early 70s is uh, a great time for Blue uh, as far as transfers go. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it. That's all. That's the big show. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, of course, we have one thing left to say and it's not borg hog <laughs> you were thinking that though i heard you i heard you smirking i can't see your face <laughs> you know it, man that disc yeah, that, taint. that bearded borg smirk going <laughs> the borgs the borg smirk <laughs> yeah anything with borg in front of it now sunny <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh yeah that the last thing to say is adios adios borgios <laughs> Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.